do one before we got to the year and stuff but welcome back to psychology is dead i'm your host quentin moody and we're near the end of the year we're near when i'll be gearing up for the year and festivities and everything about the end of the year the top 50 wrestlers and the top 100 matches you know and all that stuff is still coming in due time we'll be covering the quote-unquote pandemic era as a uh, me tim and brock have been dubbing it but in the meantime i figured i would cover a subject and cover a topic that's near and dear to me and my co-host for the uh for the day uh as i'm without brock but with me i have what the the dad of uh wrestling of uh euro wrestling twitter uh you've heard him you've heard him on post wrestling and doing shows with uh, Alan Cunahan, Alan Forel. But with me, I have my father, Jamesy. How are you? <laughs> very flattered by that introduction, Quentin. Thank you very much. Um, I, I feel like father is wrong because I feel like we're, we're, you may have the body and the appearance of a young man, but you're very much an old man at heart like myself. <laughs> well, how are you today, Jamesy? I'm good. I'm very, very well. Yeah, I think it's 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 in it's nighttime here. I'm sure you're much earlier in the day than I am. But yeah, w- winter is closing in on us fast here in Ireland, and no better topic and no better subject than the greatest wrestler of all time to to warm my cockles of a of a semi winter's evening. We'll call it here in Ireland. Yeah, it's still it's still we still got some sun out over here. It's still three twenty two over by me. It's it's the dead of night where you are. So I still got I still got a couple more hours of sunlight over here, but. James, you alluded to it. We'll be talking about how he's now known as the American Dragon Brian Danielson. But I wanted to take a very specific approach. I didn't want to do a whole Brian Danielson career retrospective at this point. I didn't necessarily want to do a Brian Danielson ROH thing. I didn't really want to do like a whole Brian Danielson fantasy booking kind of thing. And we could go on and on about all those topics. But. As time has gone on and as we get more and more used to seeing Brian Danielson in AEW and go out there and have these great matches and probably be the wrestler of the year in 2021, I think it's an interesting thing to discuss about his WWE run and all the ups and downs pertaining it, the, the highs, the lows, the great matches, and really examine everything surrounding brian danielson's wwe run which is where you know admittedly that's where i get introduced to him because 
when Brian Danielson signs to WWE in late 2009, 2010, that range, I'm like 12 or 13. So I'm not really experiencing Dragon at his peaks in Ring of Honor and traveling around the world being the face of independent wrestling. So, Jamesy, I think this is a good spot for you, a good point for you to jump in here is that at that time period, that 2009 2010 range where the rumors are circulating that Brian Danielson's on his way to WWE, what was your reaction, your expectation, and what, like, what did you see the future holding for Brian Danielson? Because it couldn't have been what it wound up becoming. <laughs> Oh, definitely not. No. And I suppose the first thing to say, I suppose, and there will be people listening to this who aren't aware of what the landscape was like, maybe in 2009, 2010, 2011. Like, I think fans these days are very much used to the indies being, being, you know, pillaged of anyone who's anyway good. You know what I mean? And, and like, you know, it, it started in the mid 2010s where your Finn Balors were signed, your Genericos, your Kevin Steens, pack a little bit before those guys. And it got to ridiculous lengths later in the decade when anybody with a pair of wrestling trunks who had more than 10 matches was getting signed. You know what I mean? And back in those days, it was different. And it was more like they signed the creme de la creme from the indies. You know what I mean? And it, when somebody was signed in those days to WWE, it wasn't greeted with the bitterness that it became, say, in recent years, when we felt like we were being robbed of indie runs of wrestlers that we really liked. You know, we never got to see some guys ever have a proper run or go to Europe or go to Japan. But with Brian and with Punk, I suppose, and guys of that ilk back in those days, it felt like it was the natural progression for people to have an indie run to maybe do their Japan, maybe even do a little bit of TNA or something like that, and then eventually make it to television. And it felt like the natural progression. It felt like something they had earned and they deserved. But also it was unknown territory. And I suppose as fans of Brian Danielson and indeed Punk at the time, I can nearly group the two of them together. And I suppose Paul London was the one who was signed before them as well we wondered what would become of them on the, on the main roster. You know, WWE was still very much the land of giants. You had to have, you know, you had to be a big guy. You had to have a certain look and smaller wrestlers, you know, with maybe the exception of Rey Mysterio and a few more weren't the valued commodities or weren't accepted in the way that they are now. And I suppose part of Brian's legacy is that acceptance in a way. So it was with uncertainty. And if you had, if you had sat me down and sat me on a podcast in 2009 when he signed and said, what would you be happy with for Brian? If you had said to me, he got to be an intercontinental level guy and got to wrestle, you know, got to have a few matches every month on TV, I would have been happy with that. You know what I mean? So so to say that his run exceeded my expectations is putting it mild, you know. Like, I, I you know, I, I didn't feel like he could ever become the champion. I didn't feel like he would ever become the guy that crowds gravitated towards in the way that he eventually would. Um, and as I said, if, if he had gotten to IC level or US title level, that would have, to me, been a great result, you know. Was that an expectation or more like if he got there, you'd be happy with it? 
I suppose like it, like we didn't know that he was well in with William Regal and we didn't know that he had the HBK thing. So we, we didn't know that he had people on his side. Um, but like, yeah, like it, it, it was a hope, I suppose, rather than an expectation, because we, I honestly couldn't like you have to th- you have to remember in those days, it was very hard for me to even picture in my head Brian Danielson standing across the ring from Randy Orton or John Cena. Even the thought of it was a little bit kind of mind blowing. You know what I mean? It just you didn't picture him in that position. So, yeah, like I suppose it was a hope that he would do that well in inverted commas than an expectation for sure. But we also did know that he was respected and he had people on his side. So that was definitely going to be something that would be in his favor. You know, it's funny to look at Brian Danielson and to see him become sort of the out of out of his peer group, out of those guys that we associate with the heyday of Ring of Honor and the boom and peaks of independent wrestling. He was the one guy, other than Hero, and Hero was still it still eventually came to him. But you look at Joe, AJ, Daniels, Homicide, Paul London, Brian Kendrick. All those guys eventually got deals and got signed to major companies all before Brian did. So at that point in time, and I feel, and I think we covered this a little bit when we did the 2008 Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. match, is that. By that point in time, yeah, Brian Danielson's the best wrestler in the world, but he also kind of feels like the last man standing. And it's not that he doesn't deserve to be the wrestler of the year in 2007 or 2008 or 2009 or whatever year that you want to give to him, but there is that kind of feeling of he's the last man standing. Yeah, Chris Hero is there, and Chris Hero is having great matches, and Claudio is still working his way through, and he's and he's developing into an elite wrestler by this point. But on some level, Brian Danielson felt like the last man standing. And he and Loki getting renamed as Caval in FCW, they come come in at around the same time. I think Loki, I think Loki reported there before he did. But I watched the Loki Brian Danielson match, Brian Danielson's debut. And on commentary for that is Byron Saxton and Wade Barrett. And Wade Barrett, who will get mentioned a couple a couple different times during the course of this show, he's on commentary here, and in a completely different tone and manner. And obviously, they're doing this while Vince isn't looking, but they're treating Brian Danielson with the utmost respect on commentary. And the crowd in FCW is relatively for FCW like going crazy for him because they're all aware of who he is and his stature and his ability and everything and everything surrounding him. And maybe they don't have, they don't have this big attachment to Brian Danielson versus Loki in the way that me and you might have that knowing their ring of honor history, their um, Jersey championship, their Jersey championship, uh, was it Jersey all pro history or yeah, yeah, their Jersey all pro history or their King of the Indies, whatever. This still, oh, Brian Danielson's here. He signed. That's cool. And they give him a really strong reaction. So, back in 2010, I'm, yeah, I'm 13. Going, watching it, watching it, watching, watching it. Disgusting. <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> oh, watching NXT, on the, watching NXT, the game show version of it on the Sci Fi channel. And obviously, <laughs> you could do like many podcasts on how big of a mess the early seasons of NXT were, the early forms of NXT were. But if you go through it 
and you remember that season, Brian Danielson's the only guy that had like a real like lasting career. I guess if you want to, if you want to go Heath Slater, but if you go if you go through the se- the season one contestants of that of that NXT, it's David Otunga, Michael Tarver, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, Skip Sheffield, Michael Tarver, Wade Barrett, Daniel Bryan. And that's a fucking insane cast of talent <laughs> surrounded by the best wrestler in the world. And then he's the first guy eliminated off the show. So I don't know if you were watching or keeping up with this complete shit show of a television show that they were airing on sci-fi, but obviously it was a complete mess. And if you were following at the time, following the product at the time, this WWE as a whole, I got to imagine that at that point, your hopes were, your hopes for Daniel Bryan were pretty low, especially when they're using the Miz and Michael Cole as conduits to say all these real life uh, behind the scenes criticisms of Daniel Bryan and bury him every week. And I guess you could argue that, oh, well, they're giving him a storyline. But if his storyline is guy that's a loser and then he doesn't actually get to do anything about it, then what then what, then what does it all matter? But at the time, how are you feeling about Bryan looking at that first season of NXT? Yeah, not, not good. And I remember that... I remember us being on message boards and when, when it was announced that he was going to be on this TV show thing and he was going to get buddied up with a member of the main roster, the assumption straight away was surely they'll put him with William Regal. You know, the, the obvious choice. You know what I mean? season. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. He's there with someone else. And, it's, and straight away they don't do that and the alarm bells are ringing straight away because it's like, oh God, okay. And then of all the people to put him with, The Miz. Now, in fairness to WWE, in hindsight and looking back at, 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 the, at, this, at, at what became of the Miz and Daniel Bryan rivalry, it wasn't the worst idea in the world with the benefit of hindsight. But at the time, we were all fuming. And if there was such a thing as Twitter at the time, Twitter would have been raging at this decision of theirs to put him with Miz in the first place, you know. And and then, like you said, the the Michael Cole stuff, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, and it's... I, I have never seen somebody spoken about in that way by a commentator or, or by a character in WWE where it's just completely derogatory all the time. You know what I mean? You know the classic thing, Quentin, where if you're cutting a promo, if you're a wrestler and you're cutting a promo on somebody else, you don't outright bury them because then if you beat them, you haven't beaten anybody in the first place. So there's always the basic rule of pro wrestling that, yes, you can be against somebody, but you can also talk them up in a way and you can talk up their strengths. And this Michael Cole stuff, like, like I, I watched a lot of that first series of, of NXT back um, back at the start of the pandemic. For the want of something better to do, I decided I'd have a look back at it. Like, And it's it's really awful stuff. You know what I mean? And and to no, to no real purpose. You know what I mean? Like there's, does anything come of it? Does Daniel Bryan get, eventually get a rub from it? Not really. Um, the only good thing that comes of it and the only thing that did give me hope at the time was and it goes back to respect and it goes back to I think Daniel Bryan no matter whether Vince McMahon ever respected him whether Michael Cole ever respected him whether the guys booking it ever respected him I do think Danielson or Daniel Bryan would always have had the respect 
of the locker room. And it's no coincidence that on the very first episode of that show, Chris Jericho, ever the politician and ever the guy who's, you know, never afraid to get himself in a good position, puts his hand up and makes sure that he gets to have a main event on that first show with Brian Danielson. And like, that's no coincidence. He's not asking there. He's not asking to get in the ring with anyone else except Danielson. And the end, like that was a small little sliver of hope that we got that Jericho match and that it was a reasonably good match as well. And I remember the rib injury that, that Brian sustains when he does that suicide dive and hits the, the announcer's desk. I, you know, there was a bit of hope there because we thought, okay, maybe the rib injury can be something that he can use throughout the series. But even that kind of peters out after a couple of weeks. And yes, he kind of sells it for a while, but then it just gets forgotten. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it it, it was it was a funny old time, and it was a I never we never thought we would, you know, have our first introduction to Danielson as this weird game show. You know what I mean? It just it didn't fit with the picture and image we had of him whatsoever. It's funny to look at that too because. They obviously were aware of Brian's star power on a on a on a relative scale enough to put him in a main event and hope that it would get some kind of ratings, but then not enough to keep him on the show. And then you can mm-hmm. and then you can say whatever about what would have been the plans for him after NXT. Excuse me, but the you can argue the best thing that ever happened to him was getting fired during the Nexus storyline. Because we can fast forward after this and we all know how bad the Michael Cole and Daniel Bryan stuff was. An, an announcer being able to talk to a wrestler like that, I feel like just shouldn't. It, it just shouldn't be able to happen. <laughs> like, no, no. like literally, his job is to do the opposite. He's the, he's the one guy that should literally be talking everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think he's just. Yeah, if, he, if, he, like if a, he was a manager, that's different. Like, if, yeah, he, if, exactly, he, if he was exactly. if he was a manager, that's different. In like. I don't usually love heel commentators. For me, uh, the ideal sweet spot of a heel commentator for me was always Jesse Ventura. Like I, I feel like I felt like Bobby Heenan could drift a little too far sometimes. But at the same time, he was also a heel manager at points who was being thwarted by Hulk Hogan. So like he had a he had a like a grudge against the guy. Michael Cole's whole thing with Daniel Bryan was so odd and felt completely random. And watching that throughout, like, Brian's run during the season and Brian's early stages in WWE was always just such a weird thing because, well, if you want to have a heel commentator, fine. But to have that kind of actual feud between an announcer and a wrestler and letting the announcer get the best of the wrestler on the mic sometimes, it's just, like, it's, it's just strange. It's really strange stuff. But we fast forward, and Wade Barrett wins the first season of NXT and they debut on an episode of Raw all the former NXT season one participants and they are wearing these black and yellow armbands and they are Nexus and during that uh, infamous angle where they debut and tear the ring apart and attack everybody Daniel Bryan chokes Justin Roberts with a tie and that gets some some kind of like backlash and feedback as to where they feel like the need to release Daniel Bryan. And ultimately they bring him back. It's a surprise at SummerSlam. But I wanted I wanted to take a trip into an alternate timeline where James, if you think about it, imagine if Bryan stayed in Nexus. I don't think he stands a shot if he if he stays in that group. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, exactly. And, you know, to, to kind of transport myself back to 
Jamesy back in 2010 reading about this on the internet definitely there was the outrage at the time of you know my, my favorite wrestler being mistreated by wwe and then there's the delight of him being back on the indies and getting to see him having danielson matches again and that brilliant bonus run that he has there in 2010 as well where he kind of has all these weird and wonderful matches in different places um but yeah with the benefit of hindsight that was a dead angle and definitely was better off out of it you know and even i watched the summer slam match where he returns and it's it's a nice little spot for him isn't it getting to be a surprise member of the team getting to, getting to team with bret hart with cena you know it's it's a decent spot for him and he feels like something of a big deal coming out there at SummerSlam. he feels like his own entity and he feels like important to some extent and then across the ring, you have these bunch, this raggle taggle bunch of NXT Nexus guys, all in the same shirts, kind of an amorphous group where nobody particularly has a personality. And he's in a far better spot teaming with Bret Hart and John Cena than he is being in that team for sure. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget, and I think that's why some like with this, I think I want to put why Daniel Bryan's run is so improbable in like in while that actually happened. Wade Barrett is the guy that they had primed to be an eventual star, right? I feel like people forget that Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel were the most pushed guys after that. That they were getting tag team title shots and had tag mm-hmm. team title reigns and everything and everything like that. And if Daniel Bryan stayed in the group, and again, we don't know what the thought what the thought process was. We just know they fired him and they made up a reason on TV and said that, oh, Brian felt remorseful for what he did, so we kicked him out. But if that doesn't happen, what's, what does Brian do? Is he is Wade Barrett's going for the main title, and then you guys have, have those guys going for the tag titles. Do we do I even see a scenario in which Brian would have been going for the secondary title on Raw? And I guess that would have been the U.S. title about the U.S. title by that point. I don't I don't even know if I would have seen that for him. So I think it's I think it's an interesting lens to look through where yeah he gets fired and it was a ridiculous thing to do just to scapegoat that guy and single him out but accidentally it's the best thing that ever happened to him because if he was a nexus who knows if he even like would have survived like the next two rounds of cuts uh yeah that's that's a great point and i had never thought of it that way but but it's absolutely spot on yeah you know um he had barriers against him, but also like that turned into a positive for him for sure. So, if you want to like look forward, look, look look a little bit forward now. And Brian's on TV, he gets TV time, he gets to do segments. He uh, has that match against Night of Champions with The Miz, and it's a really fun, really fun match. The crowd is super into it. They they were really wrapped up into the story, and by then you can already see the kind of magic that. Daniel Bryan has around him the bragging rights 2010 match with Dolph Ziggler is 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 great and really was one of those first times I remember watching a match multiple times and uh looking for looking for it online and like looking at the comments and being like oh people are like really into this people really love this and seeing stuff like terms like match of the year and stuff like that being thrown around for that Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler match but even after dodging a bullet with Nexus, you look at 2010-2011 WWE, and it's a weird time frame. And in the 2010-2012 to time frame, things change a lot. But 
in that time frame, people like Wade Barrett, Cody Rhodes, John Morrison, Jack Swagger, Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and Alberto Del Rio are all conceivably newer guys. You can even throw a Sheamus in there. Are all conceivably newer guys that are all above Daniel Bryan. And if you go a little bit further, a couple years later, Drew McIntyre is in 3MB. And Cody Rhodes is in um, Team Rhodes Scholar. John Morris, John Morrison uh, left the left the company in that time frame, and there and Drew, Drew McIntyre completely burnt out, obviously. But you go back to 2010-2011, and these are all the guys that are in the way of uh, Brian achieving any kind of success in WWE, and that's not mentioning the guys who were already more solidified by that point. But look at that crop of guys right there. And yeah, there, there was no way I could have seen Daniel Bryan becoming a becoming a world champion or becoming like an actual successful world champion before the majority of guys on these on this list. Oh yeah. And and the other thing that's against him, like I, I watched back that Miz match and the Ziggler match and this cold thing is still ongoing yes. throughout all the commentary. It's still there. It's still relentless. It's, you know, and like, it's fine for me watching because I know it's not true. You know what I mean? At this time, like I I, I have seen the guy wrestle for a decade before. I know. But like, do you remember watching that back as, 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 a, as a 12, 13 year old and listening to Cole saying all these things? And there has to be a part of you like thinking, is this true? Maybe this guy isn't as good as I think it is, or were you already <laughs> being the being the wise head on young shoulders that you were already kind of able to see through it? No, like I saw it through. Like I, I saw it through it because I'm enjoying the matches. I'm watching the matches and being like, "Oh, mm, these yeah, are good." Yeah. But at the same time, that's around the time I'm starting to think of wrestling critically, and I'm looking for like shoot interviews and the what are what are Dave Meltzer's five star rated matches and what are like the. Uh, most legendary matches in wrestling history and stuff like that. And I was a big fan of the X Division, so I already was big fan of a, a big fan of guys like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe, his contemporaries, and being like, "Oh wow, he wrestled those guys! Like, that's cool." And it more than anything, at that point in time, that just turned me off from the entire product. Um, like, <laughs> not to make this a Michael Cole bashing show, but that 2010 WWE. Like, 2010 through through the pipe bomb where Punk reeled some people back in, and then in a uh, in a nice coincidence on that same Money in the Bank show where Punk wins the title, Brian wins Brian wins Money in the Bank. But that time period before that is really really fucking rough TV, and <laughs> it's funny to see that like you can make a compelling argument that the TV has been worse now in the last two or three years than it even was back then. But that 2010-2011 is so, so dire. And even if you can look at that, and maybe you could see that, oh, gosh, like Wade Barrett has no real future. Or Jack Swagger, yeah, that's going to be one of being a dud. Or Drew McIntyre at that point, oh, that's not going to work. Even if you could see, even if you could see through that, it's st- like it's so much muck to have to climb through people like to say that the cream rises to the top and like that's just not always the case we can even point to recently with this with these recent uh slews of signings that i mean i mean releases that wwe has done and 
someone like a Biff Busick. He got to have some TV time over the last however many years he's been in WWE. Like, God, like six years he's been there. But did the cream rise to the top? I mean, he got some good spots on takeovers. He had a couple tag title matches. There are some matches that people liked. But did he get to have any sustained, meaningful push despite being probably maybe, maybe the best guy in NXT for the duration of time he was down there? No. And, like, I think we always have this wishful thinking of the cream is going to rise to the top. And there is a there's a real scenario here where in this mid-card muck, in guys that they have, like, that are pet projects and experiments for them, that, the, that Daniel Bryan could have just wound up falling off and not mattering. And that's what makes his 2011 when he wins the Money in the Bank so fascinating. Because mm-hmm. right after he wins Money in the Bank, and this was something that I was telling you, you're going to be super fascinated by. So after he wins Money in the Bank in 2011, he faces Wade Barrett on SummerSlam 2011 and loses. Jamesy. He does not appear on a pay-per-view in any kind of match until the end of the end of the year of TLC where he wins the title and even then that only that match that match is only 8 seconds. That is mind-blowing. And and what, you sent me a DM about your 2011 take and I was kind of wondering god what's what's Quinton come up with here and and I looked at his cage match for the year like and like when he does appear, it's defeats. Like he loses to Sin Cara he's, on TV. He do, he's every, he appears on pay per views. He's doing dark matches. He's not even on the show. He's not even getting actual yeah. matches on the show. And sometimes there's cash in teases, or there might be a backstage segment. This dude doesn't have a match on the pay per view until the end of the year where he wins the title in an eight second match. That's so it's that's fucking insanity. But I'd like to, the, the most significant thing he does actually nearly in that period is he's on superstars and he gets to wrestle his hero or his 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 mentor William Regal and that's now if you were to pick out anything significant from that period it's the Regal match and that's like a, a ten minute match that happens to happen when they're in England um, doing their tapings you know. So, like, he's on superstars as well at that point. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So, and, and then there's the uh, really, really strong uh, Mark Henry uh, cage match that I, that, I, that, I, that, I liked, mm-hmm. that I liked a lot as well. But I, I know I noticed, I noticed it a lot there. But, like, w- even when, like, things are looking kind of hopeful for Brian, you look at who's around him and you think, oh, there's no real realistic way he's going to be bigger than these guys. And then even when you get that glimmer of hope in 2011, it's like, well, what the fuck? Like he's not even on the pay-per-views. Like what's, what's going on? So like, how was, like, how was that at that point? Again, it's, it's, it's depressing and it's dispiriting and it's, you're, you're living off crumbs. You know what I mean? And it's, it, it's a, it's a bit like the last period of his run in WWE as well, where weeks and months would go by there even this year and in 2020 where weeks and months would go by without a singles match you know what i mean and when you get something like the william regal match on superstars it's it's like god you you gobble it up and you probably tend to nearly overstate how good it is because it's it's all you're getting you know what i mean and it's yeah there's it's and then and then it goes into he starts getting into this thing with mark henry and big show and you're kind of thinking jesus like when i was thinking about Daniel Bryan and WWE was Mark Henry or Big Show anywhere near the list of people. Now, 
as you said, that cage match against Mark Henry is absolutely phenomenal and one of my favourite matches that I rewatched in the last couple of weeks. But yeah, it's grim stuff. You know what I mean? And it, it, it feels like when he gets embroiled in the feud with those guys, they do this weird thing, WWE, where if it is a smaller guy that they're pushing, they almost purposely put him in with the biggest guys on the roster. Like I remember... Remember when Ray won the world heavyweight title and straight away he goes into a thing with the great Kali and it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a rib on him that you're putting him in the ring with these bigger guys. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's 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 a struggle and you wonder how he's ever going to break through in this kind of environment. It became a really fascinating thing because uh, when, when Brian won uh, Money in the Bank, he did this whole thing about I'm I'm waiting to uh, waiting until WrestleMania to cash in. Yeah. And in a segment in a segment that I did enjoy, Michael Cole was like, No, like you're gonna do what everyone else did and you're gonna wait until the champion is prone and you're gonna cash in and you're gonna be an opportunist. And he's like, No, 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 I'm not gonna do that. And it winds up becoming, I feel like, one of the most understated but really good long term, I guess, stories that WWE's told in recent in recent memory with Brian with Daniel Bryan's slow heel turn and the relationship with AJ Lee and how the dude like gradually changed he got more impatient and got more greedy and then as he actually won the belt the excessive celebration the uh the manipulation and eventual just kind of like straight up abuse of AJ Lee and that transformation of the transformation of that character over over the course of like 2011 to 2012 was honestly some of the best like kind of acting in WWE that I can recall ever seeing to be honest with you and you know people have always tried to you know levy this and about Daniel Bryan not being that good of a talker or he's not that charismatic or this and that but I would dare people to I don't know how many people could pull off the kind of subtleties and nuance about that kind of character that Daniel Bryan pulled off during the build up to the um to the title win and during his and during his title title reign. You know, still still acting as if he's this great guy and doing this um all this gaslighting And I don't know, maybe 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 I'm alone in this, but I, I really do think that arc of Brian, from winning Money in the Bank to when he eventually uh loses the title to AJ Lee, is some really good stuff that might not have always produced like fantastic matches, but the, those are segments, promos that I still go back and I really enjoy. Yeah, and like it's, I suppose this bleeds into kind of a little bit the conversation we were having before we went on air about his style and who he was and those initial matches we talked about the Miz the Ziggler match 2010 SummerSlam 2010 um, there's a match at SummerSlam 2011 against Wade Barrett he's very much still the American Dragon Brian Danielson I think in that period and that's fine by me and I want nothing more than 
than that from him. You know, as someone who's watched him for the last decade, that's absolutely fine with me. But that isn't necessarily going to wash if he is to progress in WWE. And like it or not, he's going to have to produce more in terms of character and that kind of thing. And he absolutely does. Like you said, almost seamlessly, I think in that period where he's teasing the cash-ins and that kind of thing, I think that is what I would call the WWE-ification of Brian Danielson and the beginning of him becoming, I hate to use the phrase sports entertainer, but you know, a, a WWF wrestler will say, where like it or not, you are going to have to do this stuff. You're going to have to do the backstage segments. You're going to have to do character stuff. You are going to have to sacrifice your match quality at times to tell the inverted commas story that they want you to tell. You know what I mean? And he does it seamlessly. There's no problem with him. You know, And that was also a, a criticism that would be leveled at him, say, back in the day. Would he have the quote-unquote personality to do it? You know, and I never really doubted that because I had seen him cut promos. I had seen him show personality. I had been in a room where I had felt the force of the man's personality. I had seen him wrestle live. I knew this guy had the ability to control crowds and display personality. So to me, it was no surprise. But I think to the wider world, it may have been quite surprising to see how easily he adapted. And like when you're talking about greatest wrestler ever and you're talking about this adaptation and this ability to adapt who he was into what he needed to be to get on in WWE. This is a huge part of it. And people mightn't like to say that and people mightn't like to talk about the WWE stuff, but it's a huge feather in his cap that he was able to do this so well. And this character, and I guess the culmination of it winds up being he loses to Sheamus in 18 seconds at WrestleMania. <laughs> that, that winds up being the culmination of it. Um, but the follow-up is a really fantastic uh, two out of three falls match at Extreme Rules in 2012, mm-hmm. and this was a show that I remember uh, going on a ter- going on a torrent site and like burning the DVD, burning it onto a DVD, so I could so I could watch it. <laughs> and uh, some listeners won't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a dad, I had a dad that taught me that stuff. So like, yeah, like I'm, I, I might be out of that generation, but I still like I still like learn how to like burn CDs <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. But with all that, with all that being said, 20, like the Extreme Rules 2012 was a was a big show in some ways. That's Brock. That's Brock Lesnar's return versus John Cena. Like that's mm. a big box office attraction match. I left that at that time in 2012 being like oh shit like Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus is like one of the best matches I can remember seeing up to that point in what my wrestling viewing was Bryan uh, Brock versus Cena was good I like it I never I've never liked it in, as much as um uh maybe you maybe you might I'm not sure how where you stand on it or how some of my, how some of our friends feel about that match but I remember watching that show and being like oh my god wow this Ryan Danielson versus Sheamus match is like fucking amazing. And that was like one of the first times he really got to to do that. You go you go you talk about how in his early stages he he gets to be pretty much American Dragon, but his matches just aren't of any substance. They're not memorable. He doesn't get a lot to do. He's, he's the solid technician in the early ones, I suppose, isn't he? And this is the heel American Dragon now at this point. Yeah, now we're getting the actual American American Dragon in some in some of these cases, which is why I think it's funny, uh, and there's going to be one of our talking points later on about, oh, I don't like WWE Brian, and maybe he didn't get to be this constantly, 
But you see this here versus in the Sheamus match at Extreme Rules. You see it in the Over the Limit uh, CM Punk match that I'm going to give you some time to talk about. But right at this little sweet spot, after that story wrapped up where he did some great character work, he got to go out there and have these fantastic matches. I think on, I think on, were they back to back? I'm not sure if they were back to back pay per views. But like, pay per views that were in pretty close proximity to each other against Shame, against Sheamus and CM Punk. And in my opinion, yeah, he had the Dolph, he had the Dolph match, and he had some other gems sprinkled in there, the Mark Henry match, and other good matches. But to me, right here, this feels like the turning point, and like, oh, we can trust this guy to go out there for 20 plus minutes, 25, 26 minutes or whatever. And he, if, if we want to confine him to the WWE style, or if you want to say he's confined at all, I'm not, I'm not sure if you can even say how many restrictions there are on Brian in those matches, but what Brian did translated perfectly to world title matches. And to me, I think that's when you can feel the momentum start to shift, but it's short lived because after that, uh, CM Punk, uh, uh, Kane, AJ Lee program, he it, it turns into a comedy act. And it happens organically, but it feels like it kind of squanders the momentum that uh, Brian had built up with that uh, CM Punk over the limit match in that Sheamus uh, Extreme Rules match. Yeah, and there's like there's there's a run here, like there's the, there's the Extreme Rules match that you talk about, and I actually watched uh, on the SmackDown the following week. There's a rematch against Sheamus. And like, that's nearly as good, Quentin. It's yeah. really, really good as well. I, I don't know if you've watched that lately, but it's, it's a, I would say, a tighter, more efficient version of the Extreme Rules match. But it's along the same lines. Like, Sheamus's arm is completely banged up after Extreme Rules. They open the show with the match, and the match gets called off because Alberto Del Rio attacks Sheamus and works the arm. And they do the whole thing where he has to go to the medics to see if he can be cleared. And being the valiant champion, he says he will fight. And it's just, it's pure classic Brian Danielson, the, the performance. He's vicious, he's cerebral, he's calculating. He completely destroys the arm, like, in both of those matches. You know what I mean? And it's, as you said, like, I, I, I don't see that there's any huge difference between that wrestler and the guy on the indies. You know, th there are things, small little things in the matches where he has to, you know, more than normal conform with the WWE structure and that kind of thing. But... He's given a lot of, as you said, he's given an awful lot of latitude to be vicious and to be, to, to do his limb work and to to kind of be an indie wrestler in WWE, really. You know, it, it really is great. And um, yeah, like the, I don't know, do you want to get onto it now? But like the Punk match was one that I hadn't watched in quite a few years. And when I rewatched that during the week, I was completely blown away. Yeah, let's get, let's get into it. Um, I'm, 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 I, w I was fascinated. I... I did watch that Sheamus SmackDown match again, and I did, and I did really like it. And I think that there's a good, there's a solid case to be made if you want to make it that Sheamus is Brian's best WWE opponent. If you really wanted to make that argument, uh, he's up there for sure. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, like this, this CM Punk, uh, Daniel Bryan over the limit match. And if you could, if you could, for me, could you go back into the into that perspective of being someone that followed the Indies at that time? Because you're getting a CM Punk versus Daniel Bryan match on a pay-per-view, right? But recently, I just, um, I've been going through a 2004 Ring of Honor. And I had seen, I, I just, uh, I've seen it before, but I just recently seen again 
their um uh their their, their match in two thousand four with Ricky Steamboat as the special okay. guest referee, and that's a fantastic match. It's an excellent match, and I gotta imagine that you had like shades of that running in your head as you're leading into this match. So, so like, how did this match compare for you? Uh, in contrast to their uh, earlier encounters, in what ways did you see growth from both of them there? And like, how surreal was it to see CM Punk versus Daniel Bryan for the WWE title on a on a pay per view? Uh, like, and, and I think that's that's part of the affection I have for the match, and to me, that's part of the greatness of the match. Like to me, back in 2012, even the fact that this was a thing. Like, think about how you felt a few weeks ago, Quentin, when you got to see Eddie Kingston against Brian Anderson and AEW. You know, just the fact that the, those two guys are standing across the ring from each other on national television is, you know, like I, I watched that match a few weeks ago. And even before the bell rings, I'm quite emotional that this is even happening. You know what I mean? And it's exactly the same back then. You know what I mean? My two guys from ROH, you know, I'm an old ROH bot from back in the day, would have been on the message board, revered both of these guys, you know, loved their entire careers. And here we get to see them on a WWE pay-per-view wrestling for the title. So straight away, I'm in love with this match. You know what I mean? And over the years, I, I kind of had forgotten the detail of the match. So like when I put it on there the other night and I'm watching it and, and I'm blown away by, again, the freedom and the latitude that they're given. Like they're, they're pretty much allowed to go out there on WWE pay-per-view and have their match and do their you thing. Know, you, you know what you I mean? Know like, what, like oddly enough, and this comparison might sound weird to some people, but you know what this match reminded me of while I was watching it, uh, this go around, it felt like watching like the Survivor Series Brett Austin. Like, yeah. like I don't like, yeah. like I'm not, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but something about like in the context of the company they work in, two guys yeah. going out there and working this style of match and how, how receptive the crowd was to it. And you look at Brett Austin, Brett Austin in 1996 when they do that match at Survivor Series. And yeah, Brett had kind of a, uh, taught the audience to appreciate the, appreciate this kind of wrestling and stuff like that. But it's still 1996 and it's still a year in which things are transitioning. And to go out there and work that style of match in 1996 at that point in time, I still, I still view it as some kind of feat. And here in 2011, I mean 2012, where the main event of this show is John Cena versus John Laurinaitis, like... <laughs> that tells you everything, doesn't it? It, it? it feels significant that they were able to go out there and have and have this kind of match that stood that stood out and was something that people went crazy for. Oh yeah, like and and like they they get to have their double limb match. They get to do all the little like there's so much nerd bait in this match. You know what I mean? All the little cutoffs are, are they, they cut each other off by going back to the limb they're targeting. Like Punk is going after Brian's leg and. Brian's going after Punk's midsection. There's like there's wacky submissions like that Danielson cranks back on the Dragon Sleeper while in the Romero special. So much that he and Punk are face to face, and he's all the time he's working on the damaged ribs. You see Punk grinding his fist into Danielson's ear, like all the little things that you and I love in matches. And here it is in 2012 WWE, as you said before, in the land of Drew McIntyre and the land of Ryback and the land of all these guys who it's just it just isn't a workplace promotion whatsoever at this point in time 
and we get this treat of a match like and i i was you know i had always had an affection for this match in my head over the years because of who was in it but looking at it with 2021 eyes god like just an absolutely phenomenal match like and one of the best matches like i watched an awful lot of daniel bryan in the last week this is up there as far as i'm concerned as good as any match he had in the, in the promotion at the time I think it's super admirable that the follow-up is that they have a completely WWE-style match then their next mm-hmm. go-around at um at Money in the Bank uh, with AJ Lee as the special guest referee. And it's as WWE as it gets, right? Full-on love triangle. The third person is the special guest referee. Mm-hmm. They're in a no-DQ no match or whatever it was. And there's a whole bunch of plunder and stuff like that. But, well, it might not be like great in the way that the over the limit matches i think it's admirable and like really shows the adaptability and versatility and why these things matter because you put these guys here and cm punk has had his fair share of brawls right we've also seen brian have his fair share of brawls i Mm -hmm. guess but those are more in the violent capacity we've seen cm punk versus raven we've seen brian danielson versus takeshi morishima that's a Mm. like an actual like level of violence that feels tangible as to where like kind of like the manufactured chaos of a wwe plunder match and for as limiting as that style might be for as tired as i might be of that style at this point i remember watching that at the time and then going back and watching it recently and being like wow, these two like still like managed to try to find ways in order to make this concept interesting when it could have been so tired, redundant, over WWE-fied uh, by this point. And I, I still came away super impressed by their uh, by their Money in the Bank match. Oh, yeah. And like what I would say about it is that, yes, they're put in a WWE no-DQ match, but they do their best to avoid a lot of the annoying tropes of WWE matches of this type. Like, like they don't have any of the goof, you know, like there's nothing that annoys me more about a WWE plunder match than those feckin' trash cans being produced. <laughs> the minute the minute I see those, I just can't take the match seriously. You know what I mean? And they seem to put them into every match and there's no need for it. And like they, yes, and I have to say, watching the match back in isolation, I did find the, the AJ Lee stuff very irritating. And like, like at one point, they're doing genuinely brutal stuff like there's a cross face with the kendo stick and the cameras and the commentary are as much preoccupied with how aj is reacting yeah, like to AJ, it like, like, than they are yeah, like, amazing it's about, spot that these two guys are doing in the ring it's about know? aj like in the midst of like yeah. this like daniel bryan versus cm punk feud and cm punk going on to have this uh legendary wwe title reign aj lee is somehow like the biggest star on the show yeah 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 and it's irritating but i would say they are quite minimalistic in their use of the props. They kind of, they base it around the kendo stick and a chair. They keep it limited. And because there's only those two props in the match, they really do their best to make them feel dangerous. And they're applying the good psychology and the sound psychology that we know that those two are capable of, you know. So in spite of all the rubbish going on around them and the storyline stuff, they still manage to have a good match around it all, I would say. After that, Brian and AJ... You know, I know the story because I was watching Raw still at this point, and it's burned into my memory. <laughs> but you know, after the after the love triangle and getting rejected by Kane and CM Punk, she gets back together with Brian, and they're supposed to get married. I think this is Raw One Thousand, and she leaves him at the altar, and this is the turning point of Daniel Bryan's character. This is the moment where 
this all changes. He had been doing the yes stuff. He did the no stuff once he lost the title. And I guess you could say that the seeds were already planted for the character months before this. But this is this 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 is the point in time in which Team Hell No comes about in the way in which Brian's character would eventually then catapult to a main event caliber guy is so odd yet or extremely yet extremely organic. This comes from Daniel Bryan doing fucking therapy segments with <laughs> Kane and Dr. Shelby and the Dr. Uh, Shelby. And, That's right. Yeah, Dr. Shelby. We all we remember Dr. Shelby. No, and yeah. then him and then and then the um the video segment with them in the diner <laughs> and them doing the yelling yeah. and all this stuff. And the team hell no matches were not very good. You know, the, the R-Truth and Kofi Kingston one where they win the title, when they win the mm-hmm. tag titles, aren't very good. The stuff with the Rhodes Scholars isn't very good. They're, they're fine, but these tag matches aren't very good. But this is WWE and different things get over. And this act gets extremely over. We fast forward a little bit. The Shield debuts. And mm-hmm. put directly into the crosshairs of uh of the shield are daniel bryan kane and uh their tag partner for that little stretch right back in the tlc 2012 match is really infamous the fact that they debu- they debuted the shield with such audacity and um had them go out there and win. Seth Rollins steals the show. You get some really good Brian stuff. Ryback looks great in it. And it's a famous match for just like how like audacious it feels at that point in time. But it still feels like something that's not meant for Brian. It's meant to get the shield over. And while Brian and Team Hell No, I'm gonna give Kane his credit there because he probably like was 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 some help backstage, but. Brian is such a big part in developing the shield, as we all know, for watching them wrestle numerous times to the point where, like, you can't really single out any particular one unless you want to point out, like, the one where uh, Daniel Bryan beats them and and hands them their first loss. But a lot of matches bleed together. That being said, it still is part of this really strong, great run that might be the best WWE TV ever. And it's funny because that stuff wasn't meant for Brian. That stuff wasn't necessarily meant to get Brian over. But you look at how everything kind of strung together for his character and how organically it went from the slow burn heel turn to the crazy guy after he loses the title to being even crazier after AJ Lee dumps him and then turning that anger and that goofiness and that silliness and the flying goat bullshit into a Ugh. like the hottest guy in the company but it was never meant for him so i think in general bryant has a really interesting character arc in like those in those like in that 2011 through 20, 2013 range but and despite how organic it feels, you know that none of this was ever meant for him. So if you have any thoughts on what I just said there, then uh, Bill, feel free to jump in. Well, exactly that, what you said, Quinton, that it was never meant for him. And I think if you were to go back to, back and ask the writers at that time, well, what, what is your plan for Daniel Bryan? It was probably to turn him into 
a mid-card comedy act. You know, a cute act who could have decent matches, but a guy for ha-ha and that kind of thing. Because that's that's the way it's always framed. Like, even in the midst of these unbelievable six-man tag matches, they're still calling him goat face and all this kind of stuff. It's silly bullshit, you know what I mean? And we talk a lot about the greatness of Daniel Bryan and Bryan Danielson or whatever you want to call him. Um, the way that he claims this period as his own even though it was intended for the shield and even though he was meant to be a side he issue was in it fucking he was, Kane. Kane, exactly he, 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 exactly he had, look what he made out of he had a main, like, he had I, a main I event program with cm punk and then Kane got put into it but like he goes from the beginning of 2012 being in the world title picture on both shows to ending it yeah. in a comedy act with Kane, and it turns into he's the best baby face in the world <laughs> Yeah, and it turns into a great thing, you know what I mean? And, like, it's, you know, I, I watched six or seven of those Shield against Hell No plus one, we'll call them, matches. Um, and, like, they are phenomenal pro wrestling, you know what I mean? And, like, as you said, the idea was probably a six-month loop where they put him in with Brian to kind of polish off, you know, to show them the ropes and to kind of, you know, to, to polish up, Roman Reigns and, and to help him settle into WWE and instead of that and this is where we talk about greatness he comes out of it looking like maybe the greatest hot tag in the history of pro wrestling you know what I mean yeah. and he manages to weave his way into these matches like, like I was watching these matches and I was thinking the structure of these matches is unbelievable because he somehow manages in the in the in, and I, I because I'm watching it with this podcast in mind, I'm specifically watching Brian more than I am Roman or Seth Rollins or Ambrose or anybody not, else. Not, not, not to cut you, not to cut you off, but like if you watch some of those matches, we always remember the Brian hot tag. But someone, but sometimes the Brian hot tag wouldn't be the wouldn't be like the match ending hot tag. It'd be the hot tag in the middle of the match, and then yeah. they would and then they would get control, and then it'd be fucking Kane against the hot tag. Yeah, and and, and the intricate way he wove himself into these like sometimes in those matches. He starts. He's the face in peril, and then he's also the hot tag. So in in the course of one six man tag, he's playing Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton. Like it's it, it really is when you watch it back and you look at it, it's phenomenal stuff. And like it is, I can't speak highly enough of these matches. Like you know, they're all at least four stars to me. They're they're just phenomenal. Like those hot tags when he and like he has the crowd with him as well in those matches. Like the crowd is waiting for his hot tag, and when he explodes from the corner. Like this, just all the cliches, a house on fire, like just this ball of energy. You know, he he he, bound, he comes out of the corner, he'll knock the two other guys off the apron and then he'll hit a suicide dive. Like all in the space of 30 seconds, he'll hit an insane out of control suicide dive back into the ring and start working over the guy in the ring. Like it is just unbelievable stuff to watch. And I would urge anybody to kind of, if they think that this period of Daniel Bryan isn't good or something to pass over go back and watch those matches because there's something else you know what i mean and as you said he did it all while lumbered with fucking kane you know what i mean and 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 he he weaves kane into the matches where he's effective and it's just amazing you know what i mean and like then you get the, the third partner in the team you get cena in there for a while you get orton in there for a while you get you get ryback in there for a while and it's amazing and there's this mini sub story to the whole thing where they can never get the better of the shield. So eventually, I think it's on an episode of SmackDown. It's Team Hell No and Orton against the Shield. 
when they finally get the win, it feels like a massive thing. It, it feels as big as any title win. It feels like a huge thing. And it's Daniel Bryan, who's the guy who gets the tap out in the middle of the ring at the end of it. You know what I mean? So he has taken this thing where he was being pushed aside and he's made it a thing where he feels like important. He's becoming the top babyface in the company. And it's through sheer will and through the sheer ability of his wrestling ability that he's forcing his way to the top of the card here, in spite of the fact that it wasn't the plan for him to be there in the first place. A good thing about the Shield and Brian, uh, Shield and Brian and uh, Kane stuff, is that you get this little mini story throughout it of Brian versus Orton, and Brian and Orton mm-hmm. never being able to get along and be on the same page, and that led to some really good, really strong Orton versus Brian matches. And on paper, I wouldn't have thought about, oh, I really want to see Randy Orton versus Daniel Bryan, no, but no. when they go out there, like. They have, like, a really undeniable chemistry. And I feel like Orton has that with, like, some of those guys that, like, uh, like, a, like a Dolph Ziggler. Like, when you go back to, say, the 2012 Randy Orton versus Dolph Ziggler match on Night of Champions, I was like, oh, wow, I've never thought about Dolph Ziggler versus Randy Orton, but this fucking rules. I don't, I don't want to see any more Randy Orton versus John Cena matches. Give me more of this. And, right, and he found that same kind of magic with Brian. There was, like, a real tangible power struggle it felt like watching these two this straight up and down wwe product tall chiseled good looking guy and randy orton and then the shorter world traveled uh indie star and daniel bryan and it had this real kind of like tension and magic to it that you could like feel and uh Brian gets a big win over Orton in an excellent street fight. I think hmm. probably my favorite match that uh that those two had during this stretch. And these things are all building up to 20 the 2013's Money in the Bank match. And in this you have CM Punk and Brian both in it. Punk who had just returned and is looking to make his way back to the title. Brian's in it with all this momentum and then uh Orton's also in it. You know, having been uh, having this kind of feud with Brian for the last few months. And it's a moment where it feels like it's Brian's time, but he doesn't get it. Ultimately, it winds up being Orton. And this leads into Brian versus Cena happening at SummerSlam. We don't have to spend a bunch of time on it because we all know about Cena and Brian. Mm -hmm. But at least in this buildup where the shield is seemingly in the rear view, he's got this big win on... uh, on Orton, you saw how molten hot he was at Money in the Bank. When you're getting, when you're going to SummerSlam, Brian at that point, that probably felt as undeniable as any wrestler has ever felt, right? Yeah, and you can't say that they're not behind him booking wise at this point. Like he's the guy that gets the first victory. He's the guy who who taps out one of the Shield to beat to them. Be, so he's the guy fair, that gets that fair, shine. Uh, for what I remember. He gets the win, but the reason why they lost, if I remember correctly, was like there was some kind of heat on them for something. But either way, he still is the one that gets the victory in that match. Yeah, like it could have been Orton, it could have been Kane. Yeah. They, they, they did. They do give that to Brian. Um, he gets that win over Orton in the street fight, which, as you said, phenomenal match. 
I'd like to get back to talking about Orton later because I have a lot to say about him as a Brian opponent. I don't know if this is quite the time to do it, right. but maybe we'll get into it as we go along. Um, there's the gauntlet match on Raw in the run-up to SummerSlam as well. Like, and it's it's I think it's it's three people he wrestles. He wrestles Swagger, Swagger Cesaro, and Ryback. Yeah, but and like the Cesaro portion of that, it goes is, like twenty minutes and it's incredible. Oh my <laughs> god! Like, as forget about the other two. Take that as a match in its own right, and it's as good a TV match as Brian ever has in WWE. And we might be talking about top ten Brian matches in WWE before we finish the call. And I have that match on my top ten because I just think it's phenomenal. Like you know, it's it, it's again you're getting to see Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson in a WWE ring getting time. Like he brings the brutality out of Cesaro. Like you associate a lot of things with Cesaro, smoothness, feats of strength technical ability don't always associate viciousness with him oh but like the God. viciousness the uppercut, of this match like the, the crowd is like in a state of shock and disbelief that he won't stop uppercutting daniel bryan they are like <laughs> yeah, aud- they're, they're like Cesaro. they're like oh audibly God. shocked they're like oh what like like someone stop him and then the lariat at the end and bryan takes this amazing flip bump to sell it like ah just again stuff you don't expect like again he's getting to kind of put these he's like all these like we've talked about cesaro seamus we've talked about orton he's bringing a viciousness out of these guys that you don't see in a lot of, of their matches like he, he, he kind of takes these guys to another level and we talked before about the respect of his peers i feel like these guys are getting in the ring with danielson and they know they have to perform because who wants to be the guy that has the underwhelming match with Daniel Bryan at this point in his career. You don't want to be the guy that goes to the back and has the two and a half star with him match with him. You know what I mean? Like, so he's, he's bringing greatness out of everybody because I think they see him as a challenge and he definitely, he gets stuff out of people that you don't expect. And as you said, that flurry from Cesaro, like, my God, that will live long in the memory, like just amazing stuff, you know? So there, there is a kind of, once they've decided on him being the SummerSlam match, there is, a kind of a concerted effort that god we better give him some wins and we better get him over to some extent in terms of victories and that kind of thing so like that there is that at least i suppose we all know where this leads we it leads to daniel bryan versus john cena and a match that i enjoy uh, i still enjoy um i have some people i have some people that i'm friends with that aren't super into this match all these years later i don't know how you feel, feel about it jamesy uh what are, you, what are your thoughts on, this, I, on i feel like show? they have better in them yeah i think it is a good match and I wonder, like I was thinking about it the other day, I watched it back, and it is a very, very good wrestling match. But like, you can't tell me that that's the best possible match that John Cena and Daniel oh, Bryan Yeah, abso- absolutely not. And, and I wonder, did they realize that the thing that people are going to be talking about the next day after this match is the post-match anyway, the cash-in by Orton. So let's kind of leave, leave a few bullets in the holster and maybe down the line we'll get to have a longer match on a Raw or on a pay-per-view, which doesn't happen in the end. But I think they just left a few bullets in the holster and said, let's have a very good match, but let's not go out there and have an amazing match. And this becomes the, uh, the origins of the authority. Randy Orton cashes in his uh, Money in the Bank briefcase after Triple H with the special guest referee. In the uh, Daniel Bryan John Cena match, pedigrees Bryan leaves him laying uh, vulnerable for Orton to slide in and get the win there. Now you look at this and you look at everything that's been so organic for Bryan leading up to this point. Then naturally you're like, oh man, Bryan versus Orton. 
this has been a really good matchup earlier in the year. There's a good story there that Orton couldn't beat this guy. And now he's over here linking up with these authority figures because this, because that's the only way in which he can have an upper hand in is built in there and they have this string of pay-per-view matches and there's good matches there. The mm-hmm. night of champions match is good. The hell in a cell match gets forgotten, but I enjoy that hell in a cell match, even with the Shawn Michaels antics, but ultimately it was the fill time. It was the fill time because they had already knew that they wanted to do John Cena versus Orton, uh, to unify the belts. And oh, then yeah. they ran it back at the Royal rumble. I'm pretty sure. And, you, at the time, you did feel like, yeah, they they can't fuck this up. Like they're it's Brian Danielson versus versus Randy Orton. Brian is clearly the hottest guy in the company, and this is definitely going to lead to something substantial. And we don't got to get there yet, but we know what doesn't. But I think the I think these Orton matches get forgotten because ultimately it, uh, it leads to nothing for Brian. But those Orton matches, despite all the bullshit and whatever else might be surrounding it, those are really, really good matches. Oh yeah, and I think that there's kind of a pattern to them where I think, I think the pay per view matches that they have get undervalued because it's on those bigger shows that all the bullshit happens. Like you said, the uh, the Shawn Michael stuff in Hell in the Cell and the DQ finishes where Orton just oh the fucking the like fucking ref- the fucking referee where the where where the belt gets vacated and all, everything oh the fast count thing the um the, the the crooked ref which never quite made sense it to was, me it, where they had a ref it, it, who does a fast count and then gets fired the next day on Raw and the belt get taken back from Brian and it's all a bit funny like isn't it yeah it's too much I think yeah it's it's a, it's a lot like I, I remember back then even being confused I'm like. Like, I, I don't know, like, how like, if you're going to do a fast count, have someone do it in favor of Orton? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was so, it, it, even looking back, and, and I kind of, I wanted to watch the Raws to see, could it finally make sense? And it makes no sense. And then the next day, he kind of owns up to doing it. And you're like, why would you own up to doing this? Yeah, like, just, just, just none, of, like, none of it made like, no, I didn't, sense I didn't do a fast count. Like, you're just mad that your guy lost or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. But and, and and on that raw the next day they keep doing this tedious thing where Hunter brings up on the screen like here's the cadence of his normal count and here's the cadence of the count you did and and even in the main event of that raw I think it's Brian against Reigns and the whole thing is dominated by talk about the fast count and it's just it, it gets a bit nonsensical I think and whatever storyline they're trying to say it, it becomes a bit much at this point I think as you said they're, they're stretching this thing out for way too long. And ultimately, it was it was the fill time, and you kind of you're kind of leading into uh, that last that last quarter of uh, 2013 there, and the transitions into the Bray Wyatt feud, and Bray Wyatt by that point is still an interesting character. He had just debuted on the main roster recently, and there's this level of intrigue in it, but that's not what. Daniel Bryan should be doing after becoming the hottest babyface in, in in the world that it, it doesn't feel right and it's going into this Randy Orton and John Cena stuff and it's like no one wants to see Randy Orton versus John Cena right now they want to see <laughs> Daniel Bryan be the champion and I think ultimately this is where this like hope starts to die a little bit but you still kind of have that hope that the Royal Rumble is going to come around 
and they know what they should do. The problem is, is that there's a guy named Dave Batista that's coming back. <laughs> and uh, all logic and reasoning and stuff that makes sense goes out the window. But at this point in time, and it's like this last stretch, that November, where you get a really cool, fun novelty match of CM Punk and, uh, and Daniel Bryan facing Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. It's uh, forgotten, but it's a, really, it's a really cool moment. And the Wyatt storyline is remembered for mainly uh, Brian turning on Wyatt and everything. But at that point in time, how were you feeling about them kind of squandering this guy's momentum? Were you still holding, holding on hope that the Royal Rumble was coming up and that they'll do the right thing? Were you like, oh shit, they're really gonna like completely fuck this up? Where were you at this point? Extremely confused, I think. Like, when he goes into the storyline with Bray, it's like, what is this? And as you said, the the overriding feeling is, I don't want to see this. (laughs) I do not want to see this. And, and like, they blitzed through this storyline with Brian joining the Wyatt family and then leaving the Wyatt family literally in the space of one week. And it's like, I'm just watching the TV week to week, scratching my head. The match at the Royal Rumble between Bray and Brian and like literally they've put Brian they've put Brian in there to heat Bray up because Bray has gone on to Mania to fight Cena. Yeah. So so they, they so they put Brian in with Bray to job to Bray to make him look good, which he does by the way, and it probably is the best straight up wrestling match Bray Wyatt ever will have in his life. But that's not the point. Like it's you know, he's doing his job, but he's heating up a guy for Cena. And it's like and like at this point in time Am I right in saying that that according to Meltzer and other people, the plan for Brian at this point is to wrestle Sheamus again at Mania? Yeah, Sheamus was Sheamus, uh, was injured, or not? Well, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Sheamus was injured, and Sheamus doesn't come like doesn't turn heel or whatever until he returns in 2015, and then uh, and goes back to and goes back to Brian, and which they were going to try to reignite that feud before Brian mm-hmm. got hurt. But yeah, the idea was that they were going to bring Sheamus back and that Sheamus was going to go heel again and that they were going to have Brian versus Sheamus on Mania. And I guess kind of like maybe play up the 18 seconds thing. And even if Brian yeah. would have won that match, it's like, what the fuck? Like, no, this is the hottest guy in the company. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And the plan then was Punk against Triple H. Yeah. And I think, again, we talked about a stroke of luck for, Cena, for Brian earlier, not ending up in the Nexus. That's his next stroke of luck that Punk walks and suddenly they need something for Hunter to do at Mania. And, and that's what kind of... But again, it's happening in spite of them. As you said, their big their big idea was Batista will come back at Mania and wrestle Orton in the main event. And it's like, that is completely and utterly rejected by the crowd. And I'm sure you'll talk about the Royal Rumble. And was this is the Rumble that poor old Ray comes out at number 30, isn't it? Yeah. And everyone's expecting <laughs> Brian. And for the only time in his entire career as a babyface, poor Ray Mysterio was booed out of the building. And it's just... Yeah, the whole thing is a mess. As I said, like what they wanted to do and what they end up doing are two different things. And yet you still people see people online saying it was a great storyline. Like it was a great storyline and the arc of it is fantastic when you look back. But like they fell into it by accident. Happenstance, pure a pure stroke of luck that Punk was taken out of the equation and Brian had to be slotted in there. And then literally they had to be convinced by the crowd to go in a different direction. You know what I mean? So yes, it's a good storyline if you sit back and look at it. 
But like, by God, did they fight against that storyline at every point? And did they try to suppress it at every point? So yeah, it's it's like, yeah, it, it, it is a great thing, but it's a great thing by happenstance and look and by the sheer force of will of the crowd more than anything. You go to Royal Rumble and you mentioned it. He gives Bray Wyatt the best match that Bray Wyatt's ever going to have in his life. <laughs> and in this in that in that Royal Rumble match the same night you have Roman Reigns looking looking dominant and um he he sets a record for eliminations at that point and everything and you're still feeling like okay it's it's too, it's too early for Reigns so they're just building him up for whenever for for whatever for whenever he's going to uh he's going to Take the take like take the mantle. We already know what's up with Reigns. We know that he's still like the peg guy to be the face of the company at some point, but it still feels. A little... Sorry, sorry to sorry to cut across you, Quinton, but but that was wrong as well because there the crowd's reaction to Reigns when it, it it's Reigns and Batista left at the end of the Rumble, isn't it? Yeah, they're in the Batista. Yeah, and, they're in the Reigns. They're in the Reigns. Yeah, yeah, and WWE sees the reaction that Reigns is getting. And they mistakenly think that it, they're not cheering for Reigns. They're cheering for anyone but Batista, mm-hmm. basically. And and because of that, this is that's the beginning of Reigns getting fucked up as well. And his push getting fucked up. Because they, they, they falsely believe that they have this guy who's massively over. Mm. And they rush Reigns then in the following year as well. So the whole thing gets... They, they completely misinterpret everything that the crowd is telling them. And it messes Roman up for years. Like all the problems that Roman had in the years to come stem from this as well because they have no idea how to interpret what their crowd this was all about brian and about them wanting brian and reigns just happened to be the guy who was left in the ring with batista Mm -hmm. and it just the the whole mess that wwe becomes in the next few years all stems from them misinterpreting and misusing brian reigns again like he looked good here like by no point and does anyone have any any by no by no stretch here does anyone have any like ill will towards reigns at this point in time. But still, this is meant to be a Brian moment. Pro wrestling logic said that this says that Brian yep, Daniel This is supposed to be Daniel Number 30 and wins this. Yeah, this is supposed to be Daniel Bryan. He just had this grueling match after, um earlier in the show. Give give the fans a bone and mm-hmm. have him go out there and be the winner and now they can't deny him anymore cuz he's has this uh this uh the title match set in stone. You can't take it from him. But they had their plans, and they were hell-bent on their plans. And you mentioned it, but the Punk walkout, and then, and then the reception to Batista completely changed what is then possible for them to accomplish here. So you get the build-up, and again, it's nice to be like, oh, these promos were great, these segments were great, and the crowd was so into it, and this and that. It just feels... It's hard to just not be confused more than anything when you watch those segments, I feel like. Well, I appreciate it. I will appreciate it. It's some of the best promo work. Some of the the authority promos are some of Triple H's best promos, honestly. Some mm. of his yeah. best, most demeaning, condescending, smug work is those authority promos. And it's great because Brian holds his own on the mic and the crowd is there with them and everything. But when you look at it, it's like, what the fuck? Why does it have to be this way? Why did it have to be all this other stuff instead of just 
doing Orton versus Brian again. Instead of like this like year long story that you guys told with Orton and Brian being at odds with each other, you could have just ran Orton versus Brian again. But things get muddled and we know where things go. Daniel Bryan faces Triple H. Orton and Batista on the same night has the first match with Triple H on WrestleMania 30. Great match. Uh, Triple H's attempt to uh, to work to work as a, a nerd bait match since he had since he had gotten to uh, do that recently. Yeah, last time he really got to do that was like Benoit or whatever, and he relished in that and had a really and had a really great match. And I don't love the Triple Threat as a match necessarily, but you can't deny the moment and how great it was to watch. I want to fast forward though, because all that doesn't get to last very long. Not just due to the injury. The first thing he does after winning the title is go to back, go back to feuding with Kane. Kane. Yeah. Jamesy, what the fuck? <laughs> it's literally, they give you with one hand and then they take away with the other, isn't it? It's like fucking Kane of all people. And that ends up pretty much being it, isn't it? That there's a, a kind of a, an on-off feud with Kane, and then it's over. Yeah, That's and then it. it's over, and it's it's done. It's done for the time being. Um, and he never gets his run as champion. Just, yeah. So, like, in a world where Brian doesn't get injured, he probably holds on to the belt, and he's just the one that gets sacrificed to, to Brock instead, probably. Um, but still, would have been like an interesting thing to watch, but. Maybe another happy accident because if that happened in twenty in twenty fourteen, it we wouldn't have had gotten a match nearly as good as nearly as good as what we got in twenty eighteen. <laughs> but at the, but at the same time, we also didn't get Brian versus Brock like we were supposed to in twenty fifteen. So, <laughs> every, like pretty much Brian messes up the entire WWE timeline and how things should have gone. But Brian wins the title and. It's a bittersweet thing because pretty soon after that, after in an understated way, giving Kane the best matches of his career too. No one's rushing to go back to watch those Kane Brian matches, but that like falls count anywhere match in the casket match that Brian has with them when he comes back are some are some of Kane's best matches, and Kane maybe has like twenty matches above three stars in his life, <laughs> and like. A lot of like the the vast majority of them all involve Daniel Bryan, and just how how are you feeling at this point with Bryan? As a fan of his, you've reached the pinnacle. Uh, you can get more you can get more into that about this the house of real it felt going into the build and like okay, there's no way that Bryan doesn't leave without these titles. There's no way that they can do that. He has to win, and it's as great a title win as anything in wrestling history. And then in the blink of your eyes, he's gone, and WWE is in a, is in a really weird state after that. Yeah, and like I, one thing that that I have to mention as well is the the elimination chamber match. The elimination chamber match. I should have mentioned that. This is a phenomenal oh match. Oh my god! I watched, I watched it earlier again. Today. Yeah, like I, I would say. I know I haven't watched some of them in a long time, but. In my head, it's the number one chamber match of all time. I, I would be willing to watch more and change it, but what a match! The top, like, uh, and look at who's in. <laughs> you can the at least like three of the top five chamber matches are all ones where Brian was centric in it. Because right. uh, <laughs> there's the there's the Kofi one. There's the one with Santino. Yeah, and then there's this one. There's, like, 
uh, yeah. I think so, the, <laughs> I think if you ask me, and it was gonna sound biased coming from me, but it's, if you ask me, like the three best elimination chamber moments, it would all be the Orton versus Brian closing stretch, the Kofi mm. versus oh. Brian stretch, and then the Brian versus yeah. Santino stretch. I, I like I don't think that's like <laughs> yeah. biased or whatever to say. No, that's that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, I, I, that closing stretch when it's the two of them left in the chamber, him and Orton. The fucking crowd wants that when he, when he kicks so out, When much. he kicks out, of that, uh, kicks out of that first RKO. Oh, the pop. The pop that it gets. And then the small package straight away. Yeah. Oh, like it's just, it's pure genius. It, it, it's everything that he's great at on this massive stage. And it's not, you don't get, you don't get the moment. Like, and if Brian had won in that moment, I would have been perfectly happy with it. Yes, you don't get the mania moment, but by Jesus, in, in that moment, you want it so much for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, if, if, they, if they would have did like... with him so much. If they would have did Brian winning there and then ran Brian versus Batista at Mania, I would have been fine with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you get just as much a good... like Because that, that, that crowd is... I don't think there's ever been a crowd so ready for a guy to win as they were. Maybe even more in the Elimination Chamber than WrestleMania because WrestleMania is such a big sprawling thing in the stadium. You sometimes lose a bit of the atmosphere. But, but also like but that but chamber I, I think, match but, is just... I think by that point it's like there's no fucking way. After all of this, there's no way that he could lose at WrestleMania 30. Yeah. There was just yeah, no way. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the doubt is there at Elimination Chamber. Like, But yeah, that's like, again, we're talking about the top 10 list of Brian matches. I have that very, very high in my list because I just think that's... Even the earlier stuff, the guy like Sheamus and Cesaro, the stuff they do in it, Orton been such a such a dickhead heel in it. This is this is this is our when Cena interactions were just fantastic. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything about it. It's just it's, oh it's, the, it's the really, Christian really and Brian match. stuff. Christian comes in and uh, uh, I think it goes after Brian's arm because Brian was wrapped. He's Brian the one that goes up. for the yeah because because Brian has the big bandaged arm exactly. And Christian is is the cowardly guy who goes after it. Yeah, like it's what a six to have in it. Like you've got the three top guys in Orton Cena. And Brian, and then you've got three really, just really good, solid wrestlers to go with them as well. It's it, it's really, really good. So now I, I couldn't I couldn't talk about this run without talking about that match because, as I said, to me it's up there, but as good as anything that that uh, Brian ever did in WWE. How'd you how'd you feel when um I guess when the clock struck twelve and like you know Brian gets injured after going at the at the rate in which he was going and um like the dude having two matches a night sometimes is yeah. not all that shocking that the dude like wound up, wound up getting hurt at this point in time, but like just completely awful, terrible timing. And at this point in time, I think like, no, I think people all think that Brian's going to come back, but we just have no clue when, but at this point, um, where, how, how are you feeling about Brian's chances here? Because we all know WWE works. If you get injured, then they hate you for the rest of your run. Yeah. So yeah, it's your fault somehow. <laughs> yeah. So like, so like, yeah. so what were your thoughts here? As Brian has this big magical moment, and then now we don't know when he's coming back. Yeah, and like how much he had to force himself, like every all the work he did, like you said, working these gauntlet matches. How hard he had to work to convince the higher ups in WWE what we could all see so plainly and not just us the nerds not just us the the indie fans the general at like at this point he this is his company you know what i mean literally this is daniel bryan's company and through his own hard work through all the barriers we talked about commentators talking him down terrible comedy storylines 
been shoved into tag team matches where he wasn't supposed to be the focus. And through the sheer force of his ability and wrestling talent, more than anything, his sheer wrestling talent, he got there and then the injury happens. And it's just a tragedy. It's just pure deflation. And as you said, is that it? Will he ever be a top guy again? You know what I mean? Will he get shoved down? Will he be kind of a, an IC title guy or whatever? It's it's really deflating and really disappointing. And I guess ultimately, ultimately the answer winds up being no, right? At least on at least not on that same level. Uh, even if that point is he should have been. But we fast forward and Brian comes back and Brian announces that he's going to be in the Royal Rumble, and this leads into what I call the worst match in the history of wrestling. <laughs> the Royal Rumble 2015. Now, Roman Reigns was out. He had um, had like a like a he has a hernia that he that he couldn't get that it just stuck with him for the rest of his life. He has a, he has a hernia that flared up and took him out for a couple of months. And he returned at TLC 20, uh, 2014. Now, by this point, Brian had already announced that he was going to be coming back. So everyone's excited for Brian and the Rumble. Roman comes out, and Roman had never faced this before. Earlier in the year, when the Shield broke up, when Roman uh, faces versus faces Orton at SummerSlam, and in a lot of those segments, Ambrose might have been more over, but Reigns is still over. You know, they're still coming off the like those the residuals of the Shield, and it was a hot storyline. Reigns is over. People saw the writing on the wall when Reigns came back. And Brian came back for the Rumble. We all knew what Reigns was pegged for last uh, earlier in 2014 when he had set the record for eliminations. We saw him beat Orton at SummerSlam. We could see the writing on the wall with Reigns. And immediately, weeks before, even before the Suffering Succotash promos, even before <laughs> that, if you go back, people are already like, no, 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 we don't want it. We want Brian. Brian is coming back. We want Brian, and before anything even really happens, they already doomed Roman Reigns. Before Roman Reigns even uttered a word, Roman was already doomed. And it got worse, and the snow and the ball got rolling over the course of the next few weeks. But as soon as Brian announced that he was coming back, and then Roman announced his return, I mean Roman and then Roman came back. That I I thought I think that was a wrap for Roman Reigns at that at the, at that point. And then the nail in the coffin is the worst match of all time. It's the most depressing, bleak match in the history of wrestling. It is this guy coming back that never got to have a rightful title reign after having this organic rise to the top and becoming the top babyface in this company and his impro- and his uh, improbable uh, skyrocket tour success. And... He's tossed out by Big Show and Kane. Not Big Show and Kane, but I think Bray Wyatt tossed him out. But it's a Big Big Show and Kane dominated match where they toss out Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose. I think they also toss out Bray Wyatt, funny enough. And Roman Reigns, who set the record for eliminations in the the previous Rumble, doesn't do shit in this one and and spends a lot of that time rolled out on the outside. This hand picked. WWE product guy where you can see the writing on the wall from a mile away wins the rumble they have the rock come out and raise his arm and the rock looks confused as the booze shower them and 
when I say it's the worst match in WWE history, I think people want to, well, a lot of people when they think worst match, they think of like technically horrible. They're they'll probably throw out mm. some fucking uh Molina Molina versus Leisha Fox or some shit like yeah. that. Like yeah. they'll yeah. say something like that. And to me, what makes something bad is completely failing at what you were supposed to do. That to, and the damage it does. Yeah, the, the, the damage, damage like and like completely failing at your damage. at your at your objective. And this failed its objective in such a horrid way that it completely like taints a guy's career for the first five years of his career. Yeah, that's he's only recovered now. Yeah, that's six years later. That's how that's how damaging this one single match is. And I, I, I guess it opens an interesting conversation is that were they necessarily wrong for wanting to push Roman Reigns at that point? No, of course not. They weren't necessarily wrong for that. Did they also do this thing again where they completely ignored the fucking obvious for the second year in a row that Daniel Bryan is the most popular guy in your company that's not named John Cena? Why don't you just push him? And the stubbornness, the, you know, for a company that changes scripts last minute, they seem really stubborn when it comes to Roman Reigns or things involving Daniel Bryan. And it leads to a complete catastrophe of a match. So, going into Rumble 2015, were you thinking Brian has going to win? Brian has to win? Were you kind of tepid because you felt the the Reigns thing coming? Where where was your head at going into the Rumble? Well, I suppose what I wanted first as a fan was Brian to win, and I wanted Lesnar Brian as the main event of Mania because to me that was the match. You know, Lesnar against Brian, the two greatest U.S. wrestlers of this century, I would say, in my opinion. And that's the match I wanted to see. And But that's just me wanting something, you know what I mean? And just because I want something doesn't mean it's right for them to do something else. But like you said, it, and like when we talked about the Rumble the year before, their misreading of the crowd cheering Reigns over Batista the year before led them to this point. Like, by rights, Roman Reigns should have had a much slower build to the top, I think. I think he should have taken another year or two before he was properly pushed into the main event. But they heard the reaction that Reigns gets the year before at the Rumble, and I think at that point, they penciled him in to be the Rumble winner the next year. They already made their decision, and they just won't change their minds. And what should have happened, I think, is that Reigns, who was injured anyway, should have sat it out, should have nursed his injury back to better health, and you let Brian win the Rumble here. And let him wrestle Lesnar. Simple. You give the crowd what they want. Nobody's a loser. And instead, you do damage to Roman Reigns that goes on for years. And then they compound it by putting them in the ring together at Fastlane. You know what I mean? Like, how do you help Roman by putting him in the ring against the guy that the crowd has rejected him in favor of? Just makes it worse for Roman, I think. I think it. I do think that it was a good match. In a way that, like, oh, it's a good it, match, it, it, absolutely. It's, it's, but it's a bad idea to put them face to face when you have when you have the guy that they, one guy they've rejected and one guy they want. Don't put them face to face. That's not a good idea. It's not going to work out well for the guy that you want to stand tall at the end of Mania. No, totally. And while, and while, and while also and while also a great match, I think what I'm what I'm saying is that by that point, Reigns was just so unproven as a singles guy. He had the catalog of great six man tags and even straight up tags teaming with Seth that 
okay, we know that he can, like, do that. Can he go out there and wrestle in a main event, like a 20-minute, 25-minute main event match? That was the big question. And, yes, he like, yes they go out there and they answer that by having an excellent match at Fastlane. But, ultimately, it still, it, it, it was just, it didn't, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to do, it's... Something that, that that even that stretch of matches, like going from going from Brian at Fast and having a great match there, and then even having the Brock match at Mania, it still wasn't enough because it already had caused so much damage, so like such irreparable damage by that point. And what I want to get to get to as well is. If you went back and looked at some of that stuff, Brian was having a really, really good start to the year before he gets injured again. Um, he has a Seth, there's a really good Seth Rollins TV match, the Dolph Ziggler, the Dolph Ziggler match after main after main uh, after Mania. There's the Kane casket match, which is better than it should be because Kane's involved in it. And then there's this tag team turmoil match, uh, whereas Brian and Reigns teaming together, and they're facing this uh vast uh, variety of tag teams one of them including the usos and brian is just kicking the shit out of one of the usos and reigns where they've introduced the usos as his canon cousins by this point already reigns is looking i'm like dude what the fuck like these, these are my cousins you can't why are you going off on them like that and the first four the first four months i thought i thought brian was the wrestler of the year i thought brian i thought brian was had came back after nearly a year away, after eight months away, and came back right back to being the best wrestler in the world. And oh yeah, and there's the gauntlet match. Um, they do a gauntlet match just before Mania with all the you know the way he ends up in the IC yeah. title match, the ladder match, and they do a gauntlet match of all the people who are in that match. And there's the he does a segment of it with Luke Harper. And it's phenomenal. I, I watched it again there recently, and it's Jesus. It's it's really again probably the best thing that Luke Harper did in WWE. Just really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes when I when I talk about Brian in a GWE capacity, when I think about the fact that he came back from injury twice, and we'll get we'll get and we'll get back uh, to the second to the second time in a, in a in a little bit. But when I think about him, it's like he came right back, and if he didn't get injured. Like you never, you never know what WWE booking, but the first four months, just based off how like the killer matches he was having on TV and what he might have gotten to do later on in the year, the dude was still incredible already, like still like, still incredible, and he had just and he had just got back and to like think about missing out on Brian versus Brock, like if Brian would have lost to Brock, do you think that anyone would have been like it would have? I think it would have actually been a good heat in that case. But would anyone have been that upset if Brian would have lost to Brock? No, I don't think so. I think that people would have been fine with that because they got the moment last year. I think that you just did too much messing around with with Brian and the with Brian and the, and the Royal Rumble when he's such a perfect Royal Rumble winner kind of guy that I think all people wanted was Brian versus Brock. They just wanted to see the match. I think Brock could have won. I think people would have been fine if Brock won. Would have got Brock more heat. Would have been a great match. You could still keep building up this Brock Lesnar un- unstoppable monster kind of thing. But I don't know. Am I wrong? I think people would have been fine if Brock would have beat Brian. Oh, totally, totally. 
totally. It's it's it, it's. I think people wanted to see the match rather than had any major desire to see Brian Stantall at the end of Mania for the second year in a row. Absolutely, hundred percent. It's people wanted the match to happen more than anything. And like to just to go back to your point about how good Brian was at that time, I think he almost took things up another level in this twenty fifteen run. And there's there's almost he his work gets to the point of almost recklessness. He feels like a he like, feels like a man that's like he knows he doesn't he he feel he feels like he might not have that much time. He feels like a man out of time. Yeah. Or he's wrestling angrily or something like that or he's just there's there's, a, there's an edge to his wrestling that that's almost uncomfortable to watch like i i watched back the there's a match just after mania uh, the week after mania he wrestles dolph on raw and sheamus on smash sheamus match is so good <laughs> but it's, br- it's brutal shit it's brutal as shit like that's if that was a New Japan match, you wouldn't, you know, like if that's stiff, like, you know, they're really laying into each other. But there's there's a reckless, there's something in Brian in that period of kind of March, April 2015. There's a madness in him or something, or there's a recklessness in it. As you said, maybe he knows something. Maybe he's just angry about the way things have gone. I don't know. Those headbutts to Ziggler on top of the ladder at Mania. It's all just a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit reckless. But like you can't also sit here and say like we're also raving about the matches because it does make the matches really good in spite of how reckless it is, you know. Yeah, it's he. It um it, I guess when when you look back on it and stuff like that, it's like it almost felt like it was too good to be true. Like to come back at he couldn't keep that going. Yeah, to yeah. come back at the to come back the way he did, in like the level in which he did and. Going out there, like, I'm going to go out there with Seth Rollins, and I'm going to have a killer match with Seth Rollins. And I'm going to go out there with Dolph, someone I've had plenty of good matches with before. We're just going to go out there and kill it. And me and Sheamus are going to destroy each other. I'm going to work a fucking ladder match. <laughs> you know, yeah. just coming just coming back from an injury. I'm going to be in this big, chaotic ladder match. It feels like something that's almost too good to be true. But even with that being said, Brian still feels like the best wrestler in the world to me while, while we have him in 2015. And... The only years in which he's not the best wrestler in the world, in my opinion, are when he's not wrestling. And yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, absolutely. When he's an active wrestler, nobody can touch him. Simple as that. So it's almost like three, like almost like exactly three years until he comes back. And we don't have to touch on like touch on all, everything about this. But when he comes back, everyone's excited. They're like, "Oh shit, Brian's back!" The murmur, the like things were murmuring there were there were there was rumblings there was whispers that brian will be coming back and then when it actually happened and you see the promo on smackdown and the whole segment like you were like oh wow brian's actually back and they don't want to do anything with him <laughs> um he gets an aj styles match early in the year which is really good it's a really good it's a really good brian versus aj match early on 20 early on 2018 but after that, they one of the first things he does is wrestle Colin Cassidy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it's a lot. Like and like, there's a really good mismatch at, at SummerSlam that year. That's a really, really good mismatch. Mm. Um, but yeah, up until he gets to do the stuff with AJ, Brian comes back, and I don't know if they're thinking they're protecting him by uh, by not putting him out there like that. But Brian comes back and he doesn't really get to do anything until October. It's really strange. And to me, this is the first time in which it feels like Brian's momentum is like starting to fade away. 
people are still doing the yes chance, but it feels like people might not be super into his matches anymore. And I'm like, holy shit, did you guys just ruin Daniel Bryan's comeback? Did you guys manage to, like, ha- like take this lightning in a bottle, this, like, Grand Slam home run of this guy, a legitimate star for you guys in the last few years, and just ruin it? And he, and through sheer force of will, because he's the best wrestler ever, he has the AJ Styles matches towards the end of the year that are that are excellent, and I think up there with some of the with the best stuff that he's done with AJ. And you have the Brock Lesnar match at Survivor Series, but that initial return, it it really was like, oh my god, are you just gonna like just kind of like squander? The fact that your big star is coming back after three years, where if fucking Batista or whoever came back, you know that you're going to give him a prominent main event spot. This is what you're doing with this guy after three years? Yeah, like I, I, the whole thing is flat and unmemorable. And like I'm, I'm having to rack my brains to even remember that period before the AJ matches. Like the AJ matches felt to me the first time we had Daniel Bryan back. And actually having long matches and doing those great double limb work matches with AJ that they really were phenomenal. And as you said, some of the like he is as good in ring as he ever was. But yeah, they completely dropped the ball on his return. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing memorable about it. And it's it feels very much in keeping with what WWE's business policy was at the moment. Keeping talent to stop anyone else having them, but not doing anything great with them. Their whole policy of raiding the Indies was to gather talent and stop them going anywhere else and to stop them doing anything anywhere else. And it feels like, yes, they let Daniel Bryan back, but also, what was the plan? I don't see any plan here. And like we'll talk about the Brock match in a minute. Even the way that gets set up is incredibly last minute. And it feels like that wasn't the long-term plan and something they just kind of rushed into because they, from this point onwards, they don't seem to have any plan for Daniel Bryan. And like... What a crime that is. And what a crying shame that is that you have the greatest wrestler of all time and not just the greatest in-ring worker. You had a guy who was the hottest thing that they had this decade. No act was more over this decade than Daniel Bryan was in that 2013 to 2015 period. And you don't have anything good for him? You've got big cast? Yeah, let me, so let me, so let me tell you uh, what they did with Bryan in 2018 because I just pulled it up. So he had two pay-per-view matches with Colin Cassidy. Um, he's working the house show. The house show loop is him working a lot of tags with Ty Dillinger facing Big Cass and The Miz. Jeez, that is what he has. That, that is what he has going on. <laughs> oh my God. Um, a Shelton a Benjamin match that I remember being pretty good. A, Har- a Luke Harper match, and they reunite Team Hell No for for a little bit. Oh my gosh! And then you get the. The the Brian versus um, Miz match at SummerSlam, which is a great match. It is, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> nothing until October. <laughs> October, three months, yeah. Nothing, uh, nothing. It's a, a, like a, it really felt like we were being fed scraps, and like we would, we would be in our Slack chat, and it would feel like an event if there was a Brian match on TV that was more than ten minutes. You know what I mean? But you're living off scraps with this incredible this is, wrestler. This is what just... Daniel Bryan... He just came back from three years of injury. What? What is happening? Why? <laughs> Why is... Again, is this feeling like maybe they're learning from the 2015 one and they're being careful and just like and like slow walking the dog on that one? Maybe. I don't know. But 
this time, but like, I don't know if, can you like, you can almost apply the same logic to the whole, to his whole return run is that from 2018, 2018, well, when he returns up until his departure this year, during that three year time, that feels like what they did with him the entire time. Instead of just letting the dude go out there and wrestle. And maybe Brian was just so adamant on wrestling and they wanted to protect his health. We don't really, we don't really know the whole story. Brian's talked about them being very protective of him and stuff like that. So that could have been it. But you have this guy that was a legitimate star, a crossover star, and the best you have for him is two pay-per-view matches against Colin Cassidy. <laughs> yeah. That's mind-boggling shit right there. Yeah, I, 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 I can't add to that really. Like, it's just, it, 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 it's like, there are a lot of really, really high points to this 2018 to 2021 run. And like in my top 10 list, there's a lot of matches from that period that feature very, very highly. He is, but that's that makes it worse. He's clearly capable of being as good as he ever was, if not better. Like he has, I think he has his two best matches of his entire WWE run in this 2018 to 2021 period. So there's nothing wrong with him as a wrestler. He's better than ever. If anything, the rest and the time off has revitalized him, and they give him nothing. And it's just, I, I don't understand it. It just makes no sense whatsoever. So he uh, has a couple of TV title matches against against AJ, and the second one is the one where he turns heel, and he winds up beating AJ after uh, giving him a low blow, and uh, this starts this new vicious Daniel Bryan uh, character, and something that would be full on dis- in full display when we got to the Brock Lesnar match of Survivor Series. A match in which we've never seen someone toy with Brock Lesnar or try to antagonize Brock Lesnar. We've never we've never seen this. And Brian here, because he is a heel, is approaching this with a, with a completely different structure. And wrestles this match where he's significantly smaller than Brock Lesnar, obviously. It doesn't take uh doesn't take me to tell you that. But He's getting thrown around and tossed around after trying to play this cat and mouse cat and mouse game of Brock, and you almost start to feel sympathetic for Brian. It gets you back in the in the in the place of wanting to root for him again, but then at the same time, this dude is so like cold and calculated and matter of fact in what he does. So when he does find those openings, it's on it's full it's on full display and it's full viciousness when. Brock is about to do the F5 and Daniel and he spins Brian into the ref and Brian with no hesitation at all goes low on Brock <laughs> and everything from like the event, the eventual leg work to uh, 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 pushing Brock into the ring post and stomp and stomping on Brock. And that's the first time he had done that. He had done that. You're like, Oh, what the, wow. Am I, <laughs> am I about to start rooting for Brock Lesnar right now? <laughs> Like, after a match where Brian was getting the shit kicked out of him and getting absolutely fucking obliterated, in the blink of an eye, you're like, oh, man, this Brian guy is still kind of a dick. And then when Brock eventually beats him, puts him down, as he's going up the, as he's going up the ramp, Brian can, manages to get all his heat back by just doing this, like, one look of, like, mm. almost like this kind of, like, sick, like, satisfaction with the fact that, like, yeah, I wrestled, I wrestled Brock and got my ass kicked and I lost, but you know, he like he like feels alive, kinda. And yeah. I don't know. Like, I love this match. Um, I think that for some reason, 
people's suit like really really underrated you can argue that yeah it's derivative of the aj ma- of the aj brock match from the previous year but i think it just does does the whole does every uh, does the concepts better i think it just does the concepts better that aj aj uh and brock touched on but i was really adamant on you wa- on you rewatching this match when we were scheduling oh, this yeah. thing uh what what do you think of it Oh, like I, this is a match for me that gets better every time I watch it, and it, like I think it's the second best match that Brian had in his entire WWE run. Like I just think it's phenomenal, and there's a lot of layers to it. Like that initial period where Brock is throwing Brian around, there's two aspects to that that I think are really really good. Number one, you still have at the back of your head a little bit of concern for Brian. You know, it's not that long since he's come back. You worry about his neck. You worry about the concussions. This guy is just ragged on him, throwing him around the ring. And it adds a certain real-life anxiety to the match. Like, I think it's Renee Young who's on commentary. Yeah. And she sounds genuinely worried about his safety. And then the second aspect to it is you wonder, are they just going to squash Daniel Bryan here? Because Brock has... You know what? You know what Brock is like, and you know the way he does business. And there are times when Brock Lesnar will completely steamroll somebody. Look at what he did to Ambrose at WrestleMania. You know, in and out in a few minutes, and steamrolled him completely. And you wonder, is it just going to be a squash match? And I remember the first time I watched it, I gen- they, they genuinely fooled me into thinking that that's the way it was going to go. That Brock was just going to throw him around, hit a load of F5s, and that was going to be the match. So when Brian does the comeback... It has added value. It's like, oh my God, he's making a comeback here. And everything, the, the, the build to the comeback, there's, there's, there's moments, like you said, the moment with the ring post, the low blow. It's this slow comeback where you slowly but surely, you go from thinking he's going to get squashed in two or three minutes to thinking, holy shit, he might actually beat, and he genuinely feel he could beat Lesnar at that moment. And we talked earlier a lot about respect of his peers Brock Lesnar does nerd bait leg selling for Daniel Bryan in this match Brock Lesnar doesn't do leg doesn't do nerd bait leg selling for anybody you know what I mean like yeah and if it's I don't know if it's Heyman in his ear telling him it would be good for you to sell for Daniel Bryan here or if it's Lesnar himself but there's a respect there that he shows for Daniel Bryan that he shows for a few other wrestlers in the company you know and just everything about it that that moment when Lesnar has him up for the F5 and the leg crumbles underneath him that's just you 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 know guys like you and me are watching that and we're jumping around the room punching the air at that kind of thing you know i just think it is a phenomenal match a very unique match in the way it's set up it plays on your real feelings it plays on your worry that he might be squashed they do it perfectly and it's genius the way it's laid out is pure genius and it's as you said at the end of it everybody's enhanced and i think that's the sign of a really great match when both guys come out of the match enhanced as you said brian loses but he's he's got this smirk on his face almost as if okay i lost but lesnar is hobbling up the ramp and he's not gloating like he normally does Heyman isn't gloating they're relieved they're glad they got out of that match intact and that's that's brilliant that's great pro wrestling everybody's enhanced daniel bryan this vicious daniel bryan is now established he's so good that he even takes the great brock lesnar to the limit you know so it's just i just i think it's fantastic and what is it 15 16 minutes no need for it. there's no excess to it there's no nothing overdone about it just tremendous pro wrestling on every possible level brian and aj continue to have matches and they're good like the tl the, the and particularly the tlc match is really great um 
But you can say, you can say kind of diminishing returns because they run it back again at the Royal Rumble, and is that still a good match? But mm-hmm. it goes way too, it, go, it goes way too long, and the finish and the finish is bad and all that stuff. But now, I think that's that's what makes like kind of like Brian's story so great. And if his story would have ended in 2019 i think that we would have been fine with that if brian would have left wwe in 2019 after this mm-hmm. we would have been fine with this but brian's arc comes full circle mm-hmm. as he's in full swing of this heel turn and another guy who comes who rises up through by accident named kofi kingston uh finds himself in the wwe title picture um so mustafa ali was originally the guy that's supposed to be in the elimination chamber that uh, Kofi Kingston found himself in and Kofi Kingston cut these really good promos and had a phenomenal performance in that in that really long gauntlet match mm-hmm. that led to him being like overnight really becoming this like huge fan favorite uh, and people being really into him but just like, again like super sudden um, and how incredible is it that that this comes that this gets to come full circle, and Brian gets to call Kofi Kingston a B plus player <laughs> after five after you know and you, you don't belong you know stuff, yeah. six years later it's funny it's real it's it's funny it's in, it's interesting it's, it's so cool to see Brian becoming the thing that he fought so long against and to and like to give the same favor to someone to someone like Kofi Kingston where. Kofi Kingston isn't going to be on anyone's GWE list. Kofi Kingston is a good wrestler that's had good matches with people, but he's not one of the best wrestlers ever. He's not a can't-miss prospect. Like, is I don't think anyone is uh, shedding any tears because Kofi Kingston was ever a main event star throughout his tenure in WWE. But they capture lightning in the bottle again. And Brian, who is the champ, just eats it up just really hammers it home that Kofi doesn't belong and that Kofi just isn't as good as him and everything like that making Kofi go through all these trials all these tribulations making his friends go through this that if you well if you guys win the Kofi will get a title shot and everything about it is just like fantastic and great and if you ask me and this might be tipping, tipping my hand a little bit towards our top tens but this is the this is the like this is the crown jewel. This is the feather in the cap of Brian's WWE run. I think that it's it's nice to go out there and have matches with great wrestlers. It's nice to go out there and wrestle Brock Lesnar and Sheamus and AJ Styles and Randy Orton and Roman Reigns and have great matches. But those are also guys that are like on some level that you're already like okay, mm-hmm. well those are those guys are already like revered as like great wrestlers. Brian completely buys in to how the fans are treating Kofi and treats him with the same respect when they go out there and wrestle at uh, WrestleMania 35. And let's be clear, like, Brian versus Kofi isn't the main event of WrestleMania 35. But, you know, on a show with Ronda Rousey and Charlotte and Becky Lynch, where they, you know, talk about another wrestler they fucked up. Let's talk about Becky Lynch. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like... On a show where I feel like they completely killed the momentum of an, of another like hot feud, Brian uh, Daniel Bryan saves the show again. He goes up there and saves the day again by having 
a classic WrestleMania match against Kofi fucking Kingston. Against Kofi Kingston. And he's mean. He's vicious. He uh makes he makes Kofi credible. When Kofi gets up and like fires up and is eating those kicks to the rib and telling Kofi and telling Brian to kick him and walking Brian down and you see like Brian begging off and like selling fear. Fear towards Kofi Kingston. When Brian puts his best foot forward to make this match work and to make this moment special, it completely delivers. And like I said, if Brian's WWE run ended after that match, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been disappointed at all. Because he returned the favor in the greatest way possible by having a WrestleMania classic against Kofi Kingston. Yeah, and like when when we get around to our greatest wrestler ever conversation, I think this match is a match that you can really point to and say, look at this guy here. This is the greatest wrestler of all time. You know, and I'm not trying to put down Kofi Kingston in any way, but he's an upper mid-card guy who's a decent wrestler, I would say, at best. How many other great single matches does he even have in his resume? And to me, he gets... He has his best WWE match of all time with Kofi. I think this is top of my list. I don't know where you stand on it, Quinton, but to me, it's my it's my number one Daniel Bryan match in WWE. I just think what he does here is just phenomenal. I can't think of anyone else on that roster who could produce the match that they did together. When you think about Bryan's history, when you think about the full circle that you described there, where now he's the asshole. And now he's the guy telling this guy he doesn't belong in the main event and all this kind of stuff. It's just pure wrestling perfection. And again, if it was a storyline that was planned all along, you would call it phenomenal writing. But it is an accident. <laughs> you know, this isn't what they planned. Kofi isn't even the guy they planned to be in there with Brian, I don't think. You know. Yeah, I don't even, I, I'm trying to remember. I think, if I remember correctly, I think the plan was Brian versus Kevin Owens. I think that's what i remember seeing at the time but yeah kofi just came, like swooped in when once mustafa yeah. ali got hurt and it was off in the race from there but i'm pretty sure it's meant to be daniel bryan versus and kevin I, owens which sounds really which sounds yeah, crazy on and i think this was probably ali's storyline to be the underdog now i don't know if he would have made it to the world title but that was the talk at the time is that he was going to have this ali was going to have this underdog run you know so again they fell into this storyline and it's left to Daniel Bryan to be the one to make sense of it and to make brilliance out of it and to make something great out of it. And as I said, like you can say that he has he has one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history against Triple H as a face. And he has one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history as a heel against Kofi. No, I can't think of many other wrestlers who can make that claim. You know, so all of these things are just feathers in the cap and adding to his resume is the greatest wrestler ever you know what i mean and it's yeah i just i love this match for everything that it stands for for the post-match everything about it i just think it's one of the great wwe rest matches of the last decade the last thing to touch on here and it's kind of like chronological order is uh you know the like the drew gulak match is excellent and I, and I feel like we'll talk about that when we get to our top tens but the main thing here when it comes to like Brian's um uh 2020 and 2021 is again he has to sol- he has to save them. And Brian despite the fact that they keep finding ways to squander his momentum, 
when he gets in the ring, like, God damn it, does he find a way to make the crowd care again? And the fiend, the fiend, uh, at Royal Rumble, and the strap match they have is like, what the fuck? How did how did you do this? You goddamn magician! How did you figure out a way? Like have a compel, have a compelling match with not only Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt under this current iteration of his character. Like how like how on earth could you possibly do that? But he did. He did. He 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 was the sole guy to find a way to like make it tolerable. And he had a compelling like regular man versus monster match with with the with this awful fucking character. And it's the only good thing about the about the fiend. And then if you want to go beyond that, you know, this year, let's go to 2021. Ex- excellent year. Right? Probably the rest of the probably the rest of the year for 2021. His first quarter of the year in WWE is phenomenal. So many good TV matches just across the board, just killing it on TV. Um, the fast lane match with Roman. But here's the problem again. Another retired wrestler came back, and it did, people didn't really want to see it. Now look, I like Edge. I've always liked Edge. Maybe that's my nostalgia glasses talking because I was really into Edge when I was a kid. But objectively, Edge has never been a good ratings guy, ever. It just has it's just it's just a fact. He's never been anyone that people wanted to see. People are. Like when he's there, it's fine, but no one's tuning in to see Edge, and I think they and WWE clearly overplayed their hand with this Edge return, and once again, who has to bail them out and give this match any kind of emotional levity? Is Daniel Bryan and him saying this might be my last WrestleMania? I want to go out on top again. And here we are, and now Daniel Bryan is inserted is inserted here into this picture. And now he has tension with Edge. Daniel Bryan's tension with Roman is well documented. Roman's tension with Edge. And once again, Daniel Bryan has to go out there to WrestleMania and save them again. And this time he's doing the favors, like, you know, like he did with Kofi. He pretty he gets fucking stacked up with Edge and loses to Roman Reigns. But this is a great, it's a great match. It's a great main event. But once again, imagine if Roman, imagine... We, we, I mean, I guess we saw it at SummerSlam. I mean, I didn't SummerSlam on Money in the Bank. But imagine trotting Roman versus Edge out there at WrestleMania earlier this year. Imagine them doing that without Brian there. It's, it's just so fucking dire. And once again, this dude had to go out there and not only save them and make it like a good, watchable wrestling match, but also give it any kind of stakes at all. Yeah, and it's it's uncanny how history keeps repeating itself, isn't it? First, first of all, you have the Kofi thing, repeating Kofi becoming him, basically. And they, once again, as you said, they have this retired wrestler coming back. And like in the same way that I don't think Batista was in particularly a huge draw. I know he was a film star and that kind of thing, but I don't know how they thought Batista Orton was ever going to be a passable main event in 2014. And in the same way, how they thought Edge against Roman was going to be just... I, how do they keep misreading the situation so badly and how lucky they are that every time 
they do misread the situation and fuck it up, they have the greatest wrestler of all time to call upon. And it's just, it's it's kind of sickening that they had him as a crutch for so long. And it's kind of sickening that they didn't appreciate him. And yet when they needed him really badly, he was there to be called upon. Are you saying that Daniel Bryan is WWE's rebound? <laughs> I think he's the, I think he's the crutch that they never appreciated. <laughs> uh, it's 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 so mind boggling and like, they, like I don't think anyone's saying that Daniel Bryan should have should he have main evented WrestleMania this year? I, mean, I don't know. Like, I guess Roman versus Bryan would have been a good WrestleMania main event. Like, I I don't think anyone would have been had a problem with that. It would have been a nice nail in the coffin mm-hmm. to that story, but. Still, like, even if it wasn't Brian, like Edge has just Edge has just never no. been that kind of guy historically, factually, objectively, has never been that kind of guy. And they get blinded by nostalgia, get blinded by the fact that oh, this person hasn't wrestled in a few years. People are gonna like pop a rating, and people are gonna like it's gonna sustain to see that. And it's like doesn't it doesn't always work like that. In the recent track record, unless it's Goldberg, shows that like it's just not the case. Um, I guess to like move on here because now it's like we we want like we're, we like have kept you long enough, and this uh, pretty much wraps up Brian's WWE career. He has that last SmackDown match against Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. I lo- I love that match. I think it might be a little bit better than Me the last line match yeah. that from earlier yeah. this year. I love it. Um, but. I'm gonna fire off. I'm gonna fire off some some questions at you. Um, was Brian in that much different in WWE than he was before and after? And if so, in what notable ways? I don't think so. And we kind of started talking about this before we hit record on the show. I think he had to adapt in certain ways to the WWE audience. Um, I think he very cleverly incorporated the yes thing into his matches, for example. And that's a WWE thing, a classic WWE thing that you work into your matches and you use it to form the basis of your comebacks and that kind of thing. But you can't tell me that the Daniel, that the Brian Danielson we're seeing at AEW at the moment is that different to the Daniel Bryan that I saw in the last few weeks having matches with Sheamus, having matches with Orton, having matches with Roman Reigns, vicious matches, having double limb work matches with AJ Styles exactly the same kind of thing that he was doing on the indies so i think there's been a lot of silly talk lately and a lot of talking down of now that people have the american dragon back i think there's been a quite a lot of kind of snobbish talk about his wwe run and i think it's lazy and i think it's an easy kind of a shot to take at wwe and like i do not mind anybody taking shots at wwe but take shots at the booking take shots at the bad way he was used take Take shots, at, take, take exactly. shots at the commentary. Take like, shots at that. Take shots at the goat face stuff. The the guy who needed to go into therapy. The guy who had to go and see Dr. Shelby. The, the unhinged boyfriend. All that stuff. Fair enough. Take shots at the booking. Take shots at the way he was perceived by people in WWE. But when it gets down to it, there is no way you can criticize the wrestler. And when you actually... When the bell goes, there isn't enough... Like, I was struck by watching the the SummerSlam 2013 match when he beat Cena and when Orton, remember when Orton comes out and he teases cashing in before Triple H attacks him and the first thing Brian does 
it stands to him. He does, he's just had a grueling match. He's just won the title and he stands to him. And there's no sign of any underdog. There's no sign of... And I was struck by the similarity to the Daniel to the Brian Danielson we just saw on AEW standing to Roman Reigns after he's had a match on, on Dynamite. Essentially, it's the same pro wrestler. Miro, sorry, sorry, sorry. Miro, yeah. In the build-up, in the exact same way that he shows no fear of him, he stands to him and he's fearless. The, the guy who stood to Brock Lesnar and showed no fear of him, who mocked him, who goaded him. In the, you know, the... the, the Daniel Bryan, that in the opening segments of the, the fast lane match against Roman Reigns, has this smile on his face. He's enjoying it. He's fearless. And that's the, the exact same American Dragon that we're seeing now on Dynamite. I don't see the difference. Yes, he has to do certain things in the matches to conform to the WWE style, but it's minor enough. And he's one of the few wrestlers in history who got so much latitude to be himself in matches, more so than most. So to answer your question... There isn't a massive difference in my mind between Brian Danielson and Daniel Bryan. Is Brian still a slam dunk wrestler? Like, is Brian still like a slam dunk? He's the best wrestler ever for you without the WWE run and like him being forced to play all these roles that he eventually thrived in that like kind of like helped make his case. Like, if he just has a career kind of like Chris Hero ish. You know, what Chris Hero did have is like his WWE stints, but he's right back on the indies and everything like that. If the roles are reversed and Brian is is like just mainly for his career, an indie guy, and he doesn't have to like venture out of his comfort zone the mm-hmm. way that WWE, uh, you know, made him do so he could like uh, adapt to that environment. Is he still a slam, like the slam dunk best wrestler ever to you? Or do those things help his case so much? that it would change things. I don't think you could say he's a slam dunk. Like, and like to my mind, the range he shows in WWE and the different roles he plays, face, heel, hot tag, face and peril, technical matches. He literally, every every aspect of pro wrestling, comedy, comedy. everything. There isn't a, a part of pro wrestling. Yeah. Sprints, Sprints like... long matches. Going 40 minutes in the, in the, you know, the best gauntlet match wrestler they ever had, the best elimination chamber wrestler they ever had, you know, legendary WrestleMania matches a face, legendary WrestleMania matches a heel. The list goes on. I could sit here all day thinking of things, you know, his ability to throw a worked punch that he suddenly started showing in WWE. All these things are a massive part of his resume as greatest wrestler ever. Without them, I think he's a contender he's a top 10 contender but i could it would pull him back to the pack like to my mind his overall career puts him miles ahead there's no question in my mind he's the greatest wrestler ever take away the wwe run and it brings him back to the pack an awful lot and i would have to think an awful lot before making him number one but like i think it's this wwe stuff more than anything that shows he's the greatest wrestler ever Can you, can you tell the story of WWE without Daniel Bryan? Like, if you look at the history of this company and, like, things that they tried and things that they failed and guys that never got to realize, like, certain levels of momentum and things like that. And we all know, like, the heights and pinnacles that, like, Daniel Bryan reached. And we all know, like, the feel-good story of WrestleMania 30 and that he had pretty much, like, dominated an entire, like, year pretty much. But 
is Brian a guy where you feel like you can't tell the story of WWE without him and his contributions? Oh, for sure. Like, like we've just said, the WrestleMania stuff alone. You know what I mean? The between 2013 and 2015, this was his company. This was Daniel Bryan's company, week in, week out. He was the guy in WWE at a time when you have Orton and you have Cena there as well, still, you know, close to the height of their powers. Um, I think the best way to kind of answer that question is how bland and how empty has it felt since he left? And how bland and empty did it feel in that 2016 to 2018 time when he wasn't there? Because, like, to me, him leaving WWE was the final nail in the coffin of my interest in that company. And it's it has nothing much for me anymore since he left. Like he was always the thing that kept me watching. He was always the guy whose matches I'd look out for. If there was a Daniel Bryan match on TV, I was going to watch TV that week. Since he's gone, there's very little there for me anymore. You know, so definitely. uh, He is a massive part of WWE history. That's before we even talk about influence, about him paving the way for indie guys. Now, yeah, I know Paul London was before him. Punk came along at the same time, but he is a part of it. He's a part of smaller guys getting accepted guys with a different look being accepted all these things do they happen to the same extent if daniel bryan doesn't exist probably not and you and you mentioned them but my last question before we get into our uh, our top 10 brian we matches is who had more of an impact on wrestling based off their wwe runs cm punk or brian or daniel bryan oh god you should have told me this earlier so i could have thought about a proper answer for this one so say that again who had it <laughs> who's who had who had whose hot run had more of an impact on wrestling so cm punk's 2011 through i guess 2013 or daniel bryan's 2013 through oh 2015 God, don't make me answer that <laughs> oh, <laughs> like i i, I Will you, will, you, will you feel better if I tell you that neither answer yeah, is wrong? It's, it, it is one of those. Those are the two big things of the last decade of WWE wrestling, really, aren't they? Like, I suppose Punk's one, I think, is special. Like, Punk's one crossed over in terms of he ended up wrestling The Rock and that kind of thing, which had more mainstream appeal, but... And 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 punk like brought people yeah, back. Yeah, it was wrestling. like that, like that pipe bomb was was a major major thing. Like that's it, it, there's a lot of arguments to say that even things like the indie boom that had a hand in the indies becoming popular again and that kind of thing that had a hand in the British indies becoming popular. I think it brought a generation of fans back. It brought me back. You know, like like you're you're talking about what that roster was like between 10, 2010 and twenty twelve and how grim it was with Alberto Del Rio and Drew McIntyre and all these guys. And then this punk guy comes along and sets the whole thing on fire. I, I think I'm talking myself into punk as the answer rather than Brian, but as you said. What if I what if I made the argument for Brian that he that he was the face of WWE in what might be considered their best like era ever for their weekly yeah. programming. And that that raw under like, you know, under I guess a uh, Brian's uh, hot streak, under Brian's run felt like must-watch television and obviously not entirely because of brian but brian was the heartbeat of both shows at this point whether it was smackdown or raw that what that brian made weekly wwe must see he he was the guy wasn't he at that time like there's no doubting it whether they thought it or not 
for us he was the guy so like yeah as like I, i'm not going to sit here and argue against against that either you know what i mean like you're talking to me who loves daniel bryan more than man, more than most people in the world you know so it's i don't think there's a, there's an answer but it's i think it's an indication of how influential those two guys really were and are all right so before we get out before we get out of here um i know we both compiled our daniel bryan top 10 wwe matches um it's only 10 so i'm not gonna do this like in the grueling psychology <laughs> is dead here and style ways you're safe you're safe um you're safe for now james you don't gotta you don't have to do that but if um if you want to run down your list and then like if you want to give like some like blurbs in between if you want to like do like some like uh more like whole scale thoughts like after okay. you ran through it uh I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you go first. And we've we've and talked I'll, about some of them like anyway, to be honest. So there's no need to kind of go back over them. Yeah. So yeah. So like number ten, I have the um the the Daniel Bryan versus Antonio Cesaro section of the Gauntlet match from the 22nd of July, uh, 2013 Raw, which I think we kind of covered. Uh, number nine, I have the two out of three falls match against Sheamus from Extreme Rules 2012, which again I think we covered pretty well during the show. Number eight. I have the 2019 Elimination Chamber match, which we, we touched upon as well. You know, uh, Brian, basically, like that segment at the end when it's just him and Kofi, again, that crowd wants Kofi to win so much. And the way he teases it out and the way he keeps the near falls going is just phenomenal stuff. Uh, number seven, I have the Triple H match from Mania 30. Just, I think the most impressive thing about this match almost is the fact that it was rest it was triple h at mania but it was wrestled as a daniel bryan match and i think that's like given who he's against i think that's an incredibly impressive thing you know and you can make the case for it being the greatest opener in mania history i wouldn't argue with anybody who makes that case at number six and this was a match that kind of stood out to me on rewatch that I, I i had watched at the time and hadn't really come back to it. number six i have the steel cage match against mark henry from the November 29th okay. Smackdown just a phenomenal match uh, like Mark comes in with the leg heavily strapped which straight away is a target for Brian again Brian stands up to him there's no he's the underdog in the match but because there's this injury there's a great equalizer between them just a match that kind of took me by surprise like definitely the best Mark Henry match I've ever seen um really really good phenomenal match um Number five, and again, it might be a surprise to people. I have the Randy Orton match from Raw in February 2014. Now, I know there's a Randy Orton match that our good friend Simon is over the moon about um, from the very end of 2013. I think he has that at 4.25. And like 4.25 on the Simon scale is seven stars to me and you, isn't it? Like it's that's, that's a very, very high rating from him. I actually prefer this match a little bit more. It's just it's a slightly more efficient tighter version of that match but like it's it just it's the viciousness between the two of them it's the viciousness that brian brings out in Morton. really really good um and then the, the next four we've talked about really number four i have the 2014 elimination chamber match just the drama the fact that the crowd wants brian to win so much number three i have the punk match from over the limit 2012 which we kind of broke down in great detail number two is the lesnar match from survivor series 2018 and number one is the Kofi match from WrestleMania. All right. We have a lot of crossover there. Um, 
my number 10. I cheated and I put these two matches together because I feel like you kind of have to put them together. But I have Daniel Bryan versus Bray Wyatt and Daniel oh, yeah. Bryan versus yeah. The Fiend from Royal Rumble 2014 no, I, and 2020. I feel like when we talked about it, but like these are the two best matches that Bray Wyatt's ever had in his life and will like no. nothing will yeah, ever exactly. come close. Like Bray is someone that I always felt like had potential to be a good wrestler and it just never happened for whatever reason. And here against Daniel Bryan, he feels credible. He feels like a monster. He feels like, at least in the 2014 version, he feels like an unhinged maniac. This like guy that feels like actually dangerous. And they have this like really fast paced, aggressive match that you, and like the finish is super memorable with the sister Abigail into the barricade. And it, makes you feel like, oh, maybe Bray Wyatt has, like, something to him. And it's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and then six years later, it's the same thing. Bray Wyatt all of a sudden gets this big mega push uh, with this Fiend stuff. And all the Fiend matches have been universally panned by this point. The Seth Rollins <laughs> stuff is, like, some of the worst shit <laughs> in wrestling history. <laughs> and, and, like... And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then you plug in Daniel Bryan and they have this match. And it's like, oh, what? How do you do this again with this same guy six years later in this exact same position? And this time it's for the WWE title and everything. But it's like, man, this same exact, it's it's some of the most impressive work of 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 his career. You could call it maybe the most impressive. No one else has had good matches with Bray Wyatt. Only him. Only Brian. He's the only one that's done that, that's done it. And I feel like I just I can't separate those two matches. It happened in the same it happened at the same pay per view. It's the same opponent. I feel like I had to put the, put those two together. Uh, you you mentioned it. Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. It's a Daniel Bryan facing Triple H at WrestleMania, and is Daniel Bryan and it's Triple H trying to impress Daniel Bryan? Pretty much. <laughs> Which in itself is an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's trying to impress. He's trying to impress Daniel Bryan and not the uh, the sixty thousand or whatever people that are there at WrestleMania watching the show. It feels like a match that's entirely wrestled for Daniel Bryan. Be like, oh, the Triple H is a pretty good wrestler, but it's it's great. It's like it's uh even if the even if like the outcome feels like like a, like a foregone conclusion because there's no way they do this and not have Bryan win, like. When you see that open the show and you see the sea of the yes chance and Brian coming out and like how big this feels, the atmosphere is incredible for this match. It's it's phenomenal stuff and it's really well worked. And Triple H is on his best behavior in this match and I I love it. Uh, you mentioned it, we mentioned it. I at number eight I have Daniel Bryan versus Roman, versus Roman Reigns at Fastlane. Um, it's something that twenty fifteen or twenty fifteen twenty fifteen twenty fifteen. Um, so I think that their other matches are better. I think that the 2021 matches they've had with each other are better. What makes this stand out is the circumstances. And the circumstance here is that Roman Reigns is in dire need of some (laughs) fucking help. He is drowning right now. The crutch. You said it before. He's their crutch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like... He and, and, and you can argue like how much whether this like ultimately ho- like helped or hurt Roman. You can argue if like this is a political maneuver by Daniel Bryan to make himself look so good in this match, and then make you feel like, damn, why is he not the guy wrestling Brock? 
But either way, like coming out of the Royal Rumble and being in a situation where people just aren't sure with Roman yet, you go out there and you have a like a fantastic match with them. Do I feel like got got forgotten or is still kind of relatively forgotten um, for the for the most part? But I really do believe that like if people go back and watch this match, it's really really oh, it is, fucking yeah. great. The structure the structure of it is just like super interesting and. Uh, it's a really interesting Brian match. If you want to compare like anything to like Brian's ROH work, I think in terms of like how he approaches how he approaches it and like his mentality and structure and uh, everything like that, this is I feel like would be one of those prime examples of like like Brian Danielson in WWE. Uh, this next match, I'm surprised. Well, this next match is uh, you mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, a little bit ago, Daniel Bryan versus Cesaro oh, from man. the Gauntlet match of uh, you know the July twenty second, twenty thirteen. We don't gotta mention it; it's etched into our brains. Those upper, those endless uppercuts are just burned into our memories. Um, I'm surprised you didn't have this one. I have Daniel Bryan versus Drew Gulak from from Elimination Chamber twenty twenty. Oh yeah, close, close. I think if I if 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 I if I stretched it out to a fifteen, it probably would have made it. But like yeah, like what can you say? Phenomenal match. Just two two guys getting yeah. to do something that they don't get to do an awful lot and like I, I, before I, I don't want to cut across you know or anything but I had the thought I watched the Daniel Bryan against Adam Cole match from Smackdown remember that time when the, 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 oh that, that match is w- so w- when they were all in Saudi <laughs> and the roster got decimated so they just yeah. threw on in an alternate universe they have Bryan win the NXT title there and he gets to go over to NXT and do all the stuff with those guys that he's getting to do in AEW now. And there's a strong chance he's still there. If they just let him go out and roll around with Roddy for 20 minutes, or Thatcher, or Trevor Lee, or Hideki Suzuki, and all Ima- those guys. Im- imagine, dude, imagine, like, you know, imagine if he would have got would have been able to go out there and remember that incredible run that Finn was on. Yeah. Brian versus yeah. Finn at that point, NXT yeah. would have been incredible. But I, I think that could have convinced him to stay if he got to if he got to do the fulfilling things because there's enough guys there in that NXT roster, as I said. Thatcher, even get a Walter match, you know, all these matches. There was so much there. They could have yeah. kept him happy. Tyler, Tyler, yeah. Tyler they Bay. They could have kept him happy if they just let him do that. And I guarantee you he would have loved doing it and he mightn't be an AEW now. Yeah, like we could... We, you, you can rattle off like like literally mm-hmm. like twenty people that like that are in that NXT NXT yep. UK system that two hundred five live that you would have wanted to see yeah. Daniel Bryan wrestle. Yeah. But it's and, and, and I've used this word before, but like this is like a, another like really like audacious match to do this. Like this is before the pandemic yeah. and everything. This is early in twenty twenty, and it's a long Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan match on a WWE pay per view, and like it's. it's completely mat work based it's super smart and cerebral and well laid out and it relies a lot of like relies a lot on body language and stuff like that and it's like a really nuanced story that's not like this big like i hate you i'm gonna do this to you drew gulak's whole thing is like no i like you i think that you're really good but i feel like there's things that you could do Mm -hmm. better and wanting to point out things that brian could do better it's such a small like you know like detail driven story that isn't grand at all and it's not like drew gulak was this hot act but daniel bryan just goes out there for 20 plus minutes with him in front of like this wwe audience who i can guarantee they're sitting like a lot of them are sitting there like what the hell's going on but by the end of it they're like really so generous to gulak like like he does everything in his power 
to shine a spotlight and show the world, look how good this guy is, like this amazing wrestler that most WWE fans wouldn't have any idea about. Yeah, it's it's such a bold match. In for as good as it is, and for for as good as that match would be anywhere, if they did it, if they did it in the fucking um, pandemic era NXT Capital Wrestling Arena or whatever, if they wrestled it in the gym, if they wrestled it anywhere, that match is phenomenal anywhere it goes. But to do this in front of like a big crowd like this, it's it's such a bold audacious thing and while it's the kind of wrestling the kind of nerd bait wrestling that like me and you love both both me and you being like world of sport of sport heads and everything like that like the fact that they just did this kind of match in this setting in that environment was just like so such a bold bold choice uh my number five we mentioned it earlier it was also on your list uh, Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk from Over the Limit 2012. A match that I really, really enjoy. And then, like, I was watching it again. It's like, wow, this is such a brilliantly laid out match. And I made my comparison earlier that, like, people might get mad at me about. But it really did remind me of, like, Brett versus Austin. No, that's a great comparison, yeah. It really, it, it really, it really, did, it really did remind me of that. And it, I think it's, it's a match that definitely gets forgotten even though it's a nice little treat for people that like care about these guys or whatever, but it, you know, WWE uploads so many matches to their YouTube. And for some reason, this match just never made it to their YouTube. And I feel like this, like this would be like a prime contender to be uploaded to their YouTube channel, but they just like never did it. So I feel like people, especially in the, in the, like in the wake of the WWE network, at least in America, and then eventually, and then eventually all across the world, they're going to, uh, WWE Network is going to be gone and everything's going to be migrated to Peacock. But in the wake of like the death of P- of WWE Network, at least in America, people just forget how good this match is. And it's so amazingly worked. It's so, de- it's so deliberate. Uh, it's so calculated. It's so calculated. And everything has so much, everything has so much meaning to it. And again, watching it in the context of 2012 WWE, you really, like really tells you like, oh man, on the same show, Punk and Brian had this incredibly deliberate, calculated, phenomenally smart match on the same show where John Laurinaitis beat John Cena. Talk about <laughs> like, a juxtaposition of two different types of match there. Like, yeah. Uh, number four for me, um, I have Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles from SmackDown, October 30th, 2018. Um, I think that again, it's a match that gets forgotten because it's a TV match, and this isn't the one where Brian wins the title. Is this the first but one they had? In that it's series? incredible. It's inc- it's incredible yeah, work. The best one that they had in their yeah. series, like you just said, and the double the double limb work. It's it's uh AJ AJ had a AJ came came uh came on strong in the second half of uh of tw- of twenty eighteen and had some stuff that I think that people were like really didn't appreciate as much as like people like me and you did like of course like people like me and you like loved like the uh Samoa Joe stuff and everything that was go- that was going on that was going on at that time and and all that and these two and we've seen them have great matches at Ring of Honor we've seen how petty and nasty they've been with each other maybe it wasn't exactly as brutal as some of their like independent wrestling encounters may have been but this is just a much uh a much more I guess uh detail driven match now between them 
than I think that they would have been having in 2003. Not that they didn't have the capacities to do it, but they're still going out, but they were going out there murdering each other <laughs> in 2003 and 2002. And I really, I really enjoy this. Uh, number three for me, a little bit higher than you had it. I have Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus from Extreme Rules 2012. We already touched on that. Number two for me, we have the same top two. I have, the, I have Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar from Survivor Series 2018. And number one is Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston from WrestleMania 35. And as a bonus, I I put down who I would say were Bryan's best opponents in WWE. And I only, only wound up going up to five. But my five, and this isn't in any particular order, I want AJ Styles, Roman Reigns, Dolph Ziggler, Randy Orton, Sheamus. Do you have Roman in there? Roman, yeah. You have Roman. Uh, AJ, Roman, Dolph, Randy Orton, yeah. Sheamus. That's, that's, I would say that's the five I would pick as well. I actually did a different, slightly different list. I, I made a list of people that you can make a solid argument that Brian was their best WWE opponent. Oh man, okay. I, I remember. I remember around the time of <laughs> that's, that's where I got my inspiration. I something I, similar. I found a post on that forum. I was reading the Brian thread on there, and I saw a post from a young Quentin Moody back in 2015, 2016. And like, <laughs> you, you had all indie guys on it as well, and all that. So, um, let me shout them out to you and see what you think. Ted DiBiase Jr. Ryback and like look, oh, look at the quality yes. of some of these guys and look at the quality of match he got out of them it's a bit like what we're saying about the fiend and bray wyatt ted dibiase jr ryback wade barrett dolph ziggler hold on to pause you real quick he had a 15 minute match yeah. with ryback that match is and very that, good the, the part of the gauntlet after after cesaro that he has with ryback really fucking good that like the, the drama he gets out it of it like that's by far the best thing Ryback's ever done in WWE by a mile um, who else have we got The Miz Kane Sheamus Drew Gulak I put The Shield down just to give a nod to those matches because anything good that they did was usually a, a revolved around him Kofi Kingston Bray Wyatt and The Fiend put them both down Cesaro Randy Orton now there's a few contentious ones here Brock Lesnar Triple H, Jey Uso, Mark Henry, John Cena. It's contentious. Obviously, Cena had some great matches. Yeah, but you, yeah, but like again, like you yeah. can make a if, case. Like you if, can make a very yeah. compelling case. Like, like there are people that love yeah. Mark Henry, right? You know, if you're like someone that loves Mark Henry, I don't like that's like if you're gonna point to anything about why Mark Henry is so great or should have been this big star in WWE. It's something like the Mark the Mark Henry versus yeah, Daniel Bryan absolutely. cage match. And like when you say Cena, if you actually go on cage match, the highest rated Bryan match in WWE is the Cena match from SummerSlam. Now I don't agree with that, but the point is you can make the arguments and people make the argument, and that's the consensus opinion is that that's his best match. So who are we to argue? Actually, if if you if you go if you go by uh you know our pal Simon and uh and Brock feels this way too, they have another match in 2012. That both of them have rose to actually like even more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've Roman there, and I've Luke Harper. That's so that's twenty one guys, where the best matches. At least there's an argument there that the best work they did in their W. And some of these guys have ten plus year careers. Like they're not just guys who were there for for a few minutes. Like twenty one people whose best opponent was Brian. And I'm sure if I looked deeper and dug more, I could think of more. That was just something I literally wrote down on my lunch break today when I was thinking about the podcast. Yeah, like he said that. I'm like, man, like I definitely did that, and it's like, oh, 
You found found me yeah, from 2016. Yeah. I was just scrolling through PWO reading the Brian thread. There goes, there's a young Quentin making this little list of you. You had like you had indie guys on there as well, but there's definitely some new additions. The Fiend and Drew Gulak, Jay Uso since then, Brock Lesnar. You know, so he's only added to the list since then. Uh, if we're going to make you feel old before we get out of here, I was 19 when I was oh, 19 when I wrote sake. that. Disgusting, disgusting. <laughs> Quentin. Uh. But this is but this has been but this has been great. You were definitely the best person that I could think of to uh to do some to do something like this again. Like I, I just I felt like it's weird to see this kind of like revisionist stuff or whatever when it comes to Daniel Bryan's WWE run. And I get it. Like if you weren't into like hairy goat man like angry face shaking up Bryan, I guess then like I understand that. But it also wasn't his whole run. If you watch, if you go through it, you know that he did more than that. And even if that, even if that wasn't your thing, there's more than enough good Brian in a variety of different settings that, like, it feels like this whole narrative about Brian's WWE run just needed to be uh, dipped in the bud. But uh, thank you well, thank you a ton, Jamesy, for uh, taking the time out uh, of your day to go do this. I know it's getting late over there where you are, so I'll let you get out, get out of here in a minute. But uh, thank you. And if you have anything else that you want to say before we sign uh, off here. Just to thank you, Quentin. Like, I, I, you, you know that I'm a huge fan of Psychology is Dead. And, and to me, it's the gold standard in terms of proper, in-depth, intelligent breakdown of pro wrestling. So to be asked on here is something I took seriously. I wanted to have my work done and have my matches watched before I came on. Complete honor for me to be on here. Um, and thank you just so much for having me, really. All right. I don't know if you have anything. Like, I know that you are still like kind of like you have one foot in. You're paying attention, but you're not totally into wrestling. So, like, if you had anything that you wanted to say, like as far as like, your Twitter account or anything else, like before we got here, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have anything else to plug. If you're like back yeah, to doing well, that. my my Twitter is at Jamesy underscore twenty fifteen. You can see me on there talking some kind of nonsense most days. Um, I do have uh, on this on this very network on the We Don't Know Wrestling podcast network. I do have the Boots and Trunks podcast, uh, which is something that I did quite a lot of work on in the first six months of the year. Now um, I've kind of dropped off a little bit there. There basically, if, if people haven't listened there, I call them essays narrated by myself on particular topics in pro wrestling that interest me um, they take quite a lot of work like the guys to write a script on them could be six seven thousand words and they take a lot of research and that kind of thing so i think i burnt myself out quite a bit in the first six months of the year doing them i think it's the kind of thing that i probably should have spaced out maybe, maybe two months just to give myself a little rest but i have some ideas for that maybe for early next year to bring a few episodes of that back so i would say it's a podcast that's it's dormant rather than over um and yeah, I, I popped up here and there too. I have a free agent in the podcasting world, so if anybody wants to have me on their podcast and they have an interesting topic, send me a DM and we'll talk. Yeah, get in before uh, next year we sign him to uh, the, the max contract here at the uh, We Don't Know Wrestling uh, Podcast Network. But uh, once again, thank you, uh, thank you, James E, for doing for doing this with me, and I'll be back to do the year-end festivities. I have something else that I want to do. Not sure if I'll be able to do it yet, but there is another psychology that I want to do before we get to the year-end stuff. So keep your eyes out, and if it doesn't happen, you can't say I guaranteed it, so you can't blame me if it doesn't happen. But as always, thank you all for listening, and-